What's up? It's Mystic Wednesday. We out here. Yeah, we got my boys, George and Gabriel. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do the weave. I will conform. <laughs> you must conform. So yeah, I'm stoked about it. We're, we're going to just kind of free ball it. This is a live hangout, exchanging ideas, laughing, maybe even dad jokes. Two of your dads. <laughs> but really though, it's uh, it's this eclipse, man. It's feeling a little hostile. So I'm hoping you guys out there are ready to cool off with us and just enjoy some good old fashioned weaving, you know, weaving and, and chilling. And we got lots to talk about. I know George has gone through some fun life changes, but before we start, I'll go ahead. Maybe I should wait. I'll just announce it at the end too. Tomorrow at noon central, we are by we, I guess it's just me. I'm going on Alphavedic. <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow at nice. noon it's gonna be a good time talking with dr lando and mike winner dj mike really excited about that they are calling the conversation reclaiming the narrative so i guess we'll talk a little bit about reclaiming the narrative and whatever else they want to get into and i would love also to hear from some more of you guys about setting up a tuning session i believe i'm currently booked out to somewhere in the middle of may so that's been pretty common running about a month ahead that means if you do want to get on my schedule, please get in touch and we'll make it happen. We've had some awesome sessions lately, getting down to the deep roots of why people maybe have been experiencing certain challenges that they would like to no longer need to experience. So yeah, George, Third Eye Edify, yeah. how's it going? Everything is excellent. Thank you. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, for sure, man. And you know, you get excited about it. I like that. <laughs> oh, I get excited. It's great. It's great. It's exciting to watch when it comes on every Wednesday. It's kind of like, it feels like the eighties, nineties, when you had a TV show that you wanted to watch every, you know, once a week with the family or something or friends. It's like all the old times. It's so cool, man. Prime time Wednesday night. That's right. right. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. No, life's good, man. Life's good. Big, big changes at the end of the last vibrant I was on. Maybe it was like early March. I was telling everyone at the very end that I'm, I'm moving to Kentucky, which I did. We're here. I grew up in Long Island my whole life. And, um, I did, I guess, you know, you, you take vacations, you see how the world is. But now, um, being here, we've been here about almost three weeks, maybe two and a half weeks. It's been so, uh, just wonderful. Not, you know, tectonic plate shifting or anything. We, we knew it was going to be different, but we're not really out of touch with the, the kind of stuff we were surrounded by back at the old place. And, um, the people are absolutely wonderful. And we bought a used car, brought it to a mechanic and they said, nothing's wrong with this thing. Whoever had it took great care of it. You know what I mean? Everyone's trustworthy. It's a beautiful thing. Really. It's, it's been uh, amazing here so far. Dude, tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a high trust community. I just want to congratulate you, man. Thank it you. is. First of all, She's right. You have fantastic hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And I, I've got to say hi to everyone in the chat. What's up, polymathing? Always good to see you, buddy. You've got great mushroom pictures today in the uh, Telegram chat. Nice. Thank you for that. Stacy, Joe, Sherry, Rachel, Kyle. Got lots of good ones. Thank nice. you, everyone, for being here. Please go ahead. And if you don't mind, share this with maybe like one friend you think would like it. Anyway, uh, George, I just got to congratulate you again on the move. That is First of all, you got children, but even without that, even if it's just a, a solo human moving to a different pod, right? It's not easy to do, man. It somehow gets a little, seems like the squeeze on, on all that residency switch up gets a little more squeezy all the time. So 
nicely done. Congratulations. Tell me a little bit more about what inspired the move. Like what, you know, I love that you're already connected to some community. Tell me about it more. Sure, man. No, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it because I think it's, it's worth discussing as far as, I mean, well, okay, let's start from here, right? Pizza. It's always, oh, you leave New York, there's not going to be any good pizza. I had really great pizza just, just yesterday. Thank and God. I told them I was born in Queens. I, you know, I was near Brooklyn, Bronx. I grew up in Long Island. The pizza's obviously, you know, it's pretty second to none, but this stuff, it was great. And the kids loved it too, you know, so we're not missing out on all the, so far we're not missing out on almost anything really. There were tons of farms where I was. You can get raw milk and stuff. We, we have access to raw milk, local raw milk, which is, you know, obviously for the, for the kids now. And, um, and by the way, the bottle says not for human consumption because it's not pasteurized. Yeah. Whatever. Right. But, um, he's going off label. Yeah. I'm off label, man. I'm off. So as far as the inspiration for the move, it comes back to what I said, I said a little something at the end of that other vibrant a few weeks ago, maybe almost a month now. Um, it's because of my wife, Nicole, she is in midwifery school right now. She's been a doula for a bit now. And, um, the, 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 it's an online course, but the person who runs it, Marin, uh, she's very local. We're very close to her now. So we're kind of at the epicenter of where this all goes on. She may get an apprenticeship out here because of it. We're, we're actually renting a house. I mean, I don't feel, I don't mind being so candid uh, during all of this. So we're, we're checking the place out for a year at a, a rate that is on a foreign rate to a New Yorker for sure. And, um, <laughs> and, um, she, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing really. And, and I'm going to have her on my show maybe within a, a week or two to, to talk all about the adventure she's been going on lately. It's, it's, it's something that people need to hear. It's really amazing, but that's really the main inspiration. I've been teaching since the late nineties, uh, music. So I have my students. I brought them here with me because they're online now. They've been online since the C word happened. And um, so thankfully, I can just keep okay, doing you that. Can say the word. Yeah. Good. The COVID is uh, whatever you want to call it. And, um, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know what? Let me tell you, this is the thing that I think your audience will appreciate the most out of everything I've said so far, even beyond the raw milk. I haven't seen this. And maybe it's because of where I lived. I moved a few places here and there, a few towns over Long Island. I grew up on Long Island. I just turned 41. I've been there my entire life, right? And what I have not seen in, you know, 10, 15 years is just seven, eight, 20 kids all running together in the streets, hanging out in the corners. You knew who was where because their bikes was on the, were on the front lawn, right? You could just knock and see if somebody was home. It, it's here. It's here. My daughter is only two and a half. And, you know, I have a video of these five, (laughs) right? And um, I have this video of these five girls. She met seconds before this. And they're like, hey, you want us to flip you upside down? They're all lifting her. She's light as a feather. And, they're you know, they flip her upside down. Oh, man. It's it's one of the biggest reasons we came out here on top of all that stuff, the community. And just um, the people are surprised when we tell them where where, we're from. Not because of the accent, but maybe the nice factor. I'm not sure. It's... And I hope that gives you some insight into, well, you can see my excitement level, obviously, but it's really, it's really great here. Man, that is so touching. Yeah. Chance, you said it before I could, man. The goosebumps hit hard with that. Man, that <laughs> is really, so cool. It's, it's real really childhood. Fun. Yeah. Actual <laughs> yeah. like, wow. Playing. <laughs> yes. I love that, man. The kids running around like but the neighborhood I grew up in, there were no fences in the yards. So you'd be blazing through people's backyards. 
And if you just blaze past your buddy's backyard a couple times, that was the signal. Next uh-huh. thing you know, your buddy pops out the backyard. He's blazing around with you. That's cool. And not blazing like smoking weed. No, right? no, we were, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're talking about. I I have <laughs> this really before. cherished memory when my I was five years old and we moved to the house my I grew up in from that point on, and my parents still have this house. We were coming down the road. It was our we're moving in. This is the day. You know, if we're going in. We're going to live there. And the next door neighbors, there were two boys, one that was a little less than a year younger than me and one that was a little less than a year older than me. So just the trifecta, you know, I see them, they're riding big wheels down their driveway, which had a nice hill to it. And there's a big dirt pile at the end of the driveway and they're ramping the big wheels over the dirt pile. (laughs) And I got out of the car, couldn't care less about the new house. And I went straight over to their yard and they had a big wheel for me. And I was wow. riding big wheels with them. And we were brothers from, from then on, the three of us. We were the three musketeers, dude. So that, it's heartwarming to hear that there's a future out there in some parts of the world where kids are still kids and they can play outside and they can meet their neighbors and they can, and people aren't afraid. And it's really beautiful, dude. <laughs> Thank yeah, you for doing that for your daughter. So, oh my so God. good, dude. Yeah, we plan on making sure they know I mean, she basically knows all the, oh, she knows her Zodiac already. You know, we were trying to make sure they start in the, in the right spots, man, <laughs> for sure. It's going to be a unique life for them um, for in more ways than one, you know. Also really cool to hear about the doula ship midwifery thing with uh, Nikki. Yeah. You know, at some point we will want to get an experienced person to talk about that, namely her. I think it's awesome to imagine a guide to the birthing process who is going to be hip to the placenta magic and maybe encourage some alternative thinking to somebody's hopefully already open to it if they're going to a midwife, but that's great, man. Tell her congratulations. Keep going. That's a very needed role. Always will be. Yeah, Um, man. I'm actually, I'm, I'm still uh, taken by your word choice. Like you said, the epicenter. And you just move the R on the end over by the P and you get yourself a nice placenta. <laughs> Not to mention that's the epicenter of your territories, Kentucky. And the, right? You failed it, Chance. Stealing all my lines, brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm familiar that's with right. your work. What can I say? No, you're <laughs> so you're so spot on. Um my territories centers around uh Kentucky. Oh, and, Oh, and, right. The way you put the car. I remember I saw what you did with that. Yeah. Yes. And, wow. and, you know, I think of the Mississippi River as the placenta of the nation. And the, the, that branch right there, kind of at the bottom of Illinois on the east side of uh, Kentucky, you know, and I, I've even kind of played with the word Kentucky with the, uh, putting like a Portuguese twang to it. It, mm. it can become like a twilight derivative of Kayinduaki. And Kayinduaki in Portuguese means to fall right here. It falls right here. And that's where I put the fool card. I put the fool card in the placenta of the nation. And Kayinduaki is Kentucky. Wow. Well, I did walk off an edge, so to speak, in a positive positive way. (laughs) And we brought a dog with us. (laughs) Oh, sweet. That's so cool. Incredible. 
Wow. That's really cool. I'm going to, I'm going to relook at the things you were doing with that now, because that, that intrigued me so much, man. I thought that was incredible. Your work with the tarot and the, you know, this this section of the country. It just gets better every time Gabe delivers a presentation about the Avengers tarot relation (laughs) or the territories. He does a good job building on his own thing. Uh, What, uh, what part of Kentucky are you in? Like East, West, Central? There's a there's a East Kentucky University right here, so okay. we're we're definitely still in uh, Eastern time, and oh. um, so we're before Central for sure. We're about mm-hmm. um, we're less than a half an hour from Lexington, which is pretty much okay. the major city in this area for sure. Right, and um, so, you know, air, airport's not far away either. We're, we're right in a good spot here. Yeah. So there's a few artifacts that kind of reinforce the fool card being there. Uh, mm. uh, the dog man, the dog man mystery is right there in uh, oh. kind of south, uh, southeastern. Mm. Uh, the hills there is kind of the origin of a lot of dog man mythology. And dog man pops up in other spots, but that is a hotbed. And, you know, the fool card's got that dog uh, right. by his ankles there. And then. Uh, I'll never forget like when uh, chance t- was telling me about the Hellier series hmm. and what those, what those brothers were doing in Kentucky. I, that's the last thing I binge watched on. I like said, I set everything aside and I went straight through for two days and I watched all of the Hellier series and it just blew my mind how, you know, what I had already discovered by mapping out the tarot cards was like, spooky with reinforcement of all the mystical uh you know uh, what do they call it fortian all the fortian mythology that is birthed out of that center out of that epicenter as you put it Uh, right wow wow very cool man well i mean i'd see i'm somehow i'm more excited now (laughs) i'm even more excited than i was well and snakes apparently plenty of snakes apparently (laughs) out here (laughs) but um not really where we are but man amazing really it's, yeah it's a lot of it i i even speculated that like the, even the phrase like let the force be with you mm. i often wonder if that's a nod to charles fort wow. la fuerza it's the la fuerza contigo it is wow. the force that is with you and uh wow. and that and there you know what powers some of those phenomenon is there are crystals under the earth there and that's what powers the Jedi's lightsabers, kyber crystals. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. I think of, um, so, okay, I've been on a little study kick of a document referred to as the Sanchoniathon or Sanchoniathon. The document is named after the supposed author. It is, I think it's from like the third century BC or uh, AD. It's claimed to be older than that, but. It's uh, basically it's Eusebius, the early church father, supposedly quoting Philos of Bib or Philo of Byblos, the Phoenician, who is supposedly quoting somebody named Sanchoniat, though. So it's like a big game of telephone. (laughs) And Eusebius maybe isn't the most always uh, honest author either. You got to take it with a grain of salt with the early church fathers, right? But there's a, a very interesting, just like all these other sort of creation mythoses, this one's said to be the Phoenicians' theology, their cosmogony theology that, that was given to them by Teotates, which is exactly the same name as Thoth, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> also the same word basically as the Teutonic, which is the name of a, an early Germanic tribes. So anyway, there's a lot to weave on with that. And maybe we, maybe I'll bring up other things from it, but you're talking about the force and there's in this genealogy given in the Sanchoniathon, there's a, <laughs> a pair named genus and genia who to me are a lot like a Remus and Romulus equivalent. Mm -hmm. They were the first inhabitants of Phoenicia, according to this. And then genus or genus, depending on how you want to pronounce the G is said to have begat Foss, pure or Fos, pure and flocks, which all those names refer to fire and light. But, you know, may the force be with you. You're saying that. And it made me really think of Fos, the Greek word for a pure, brilliant light. You know, it's even in the New Testament, whenever Jesus says, be the light of the world, he says, be the fos of the world. So, you know, that's what popped into my head to weave there. You hear a lot of vowel, like hard vowel sounds of uh, long vowel sounds like O and A sounds kind of get a little R come in behind them anyway. So fos Mm -hmm. and force, it's not that far off. No, that's close. Yeah, it's close. It's close enough for me, man. <laughs> close that enough for jazz. <laughs> that works close enough for jazz, man. <laughs> but I really like that trinity of sons. Fos, uh, pure. Pure is the Greek word for fire. Also, it's the Latin word for purity. And interestingly enough, it's the Hindu or Sanskrit word for a stronghold or fortress. Hmm. And force, you know, <laughs> we're talking about force, right. strong, strength, fortis. Uh, there's always this kind of linguistic connection between the strong God and fire and light. And you see it between those languages there. And then flocks, you know, that's like flux in Latin, like uh, flow. (laughs) Yeah. That's an interesting Trinity. Fos, pure and flocks. And flocks also makes me think of the flowers, the creeping flocks, you know, because they flow out. (laughs) So yeah, that's kind of where my brain's been today is on this uh, Sanchoniathon document. It's one of the things Dylan references in one of the chapters of Holy Sailors. And so I was like, that today felt like a good day to chase down that particular source and lead. It's good stuff. I'll post a link to it in the vibrant chat uh, from sacredtext.com. It's not a very long theolo- or cosmology theology. And there's some interesting stuff in there. I might bring up more. Yeah. You know, uh, Teutonic uh, Knights. You know, it's kind of got the the Knights Templar legacy uh, to it, and uh, there's so much evidence that the you know the Templars were here long before the what the record indicates. So much going on with that. Uh, one of the things we brought up in our herb walks was like uh, nightshades. You know, uh, and night they say that nightshades are from the Americas. That's one of the things. That's why there was all the superstition around when they started to uh, get introduced into European cuisine. There was a lot of superstition around it. Uh, and some people, their digestion wasn't, you know, wasn't ready for those, uh, that the Western vegetation and the way that it's, you know, the way that it affects their digestion. But kind of a funny thing is that, you know, nightshade is a uh, anagrams out to Hades things. Shades becomes Haiti mm-hmm. and nights is things. And that's hitting a chord for me because I'm, I'm big on Hades and Pluto and the dis and all things 
hidden and removed from. Uh, and, you know, when the sun disappears in the West, uh, it's going over the Americas, you know. And so to the idea of keeping the Americas hidden or even that the Americas were like the land of, the, where, of death where the sun disappears every day. Uh, it's really fascinating to me. Uh, and that the Knights Templar were probably keeping their full network well under wraps for a long time. I'm sure you've already connected this, but how it's interesting that the underworld of America, as in the world that's under Florida, right. is Haiti. You know, T and D, the letters T and D interchange, you can tell just by the word Haiti, like the country, people say it like it's a D. They don't really say, hey, T, it's Haiti. You know, that's Haiti. Right. They named it that. To me, it seems obvious that they named that as like an underworld reference to the continent above it. Great point. George, how is on your territories? That would be lining up with the death card, right? Be extending uh, you, out in that you direction. Got it. Bingo. Death card. Number 13. Yeah, man. Yep. Spot on. Uh, George, how is your Greek? I can get away with a lot of talking to a lot of people about a lot of different things. Uh But um, as far as, you know, me being like what I plan on doing, especially in the next year, is just really getting back to speed on how well I know the alphabet and can read it well, because I can phonetically I can almost read like German better than Greek sometimes. You know what I mean? Because I saw so much of it being like studying for music. But um, I can speak it pretty fluently. Like I know a lot of words and I know random words that I forgot I knew. Because I learned them when I was, you know, when I was like five or 10. So yeah. I know, I definitely know plenty of words. Like, is there any particular thing you're asking about or, or overall just well, asking? Because I, I certainly, I can speak it, but it's not, um, I'm, it's not like, I'm not the strongest Greek. I, I'm not yet. And I will uh-huh. be, I can, I can, I can bring it back up to speak quick, you know? Nice. Nice. That's great. Yeah. Well, one thing that I'm kind of fascinates me is I'm finding so much Greek mythology kind of coming back to the surface in so much of my research. Uh, to the extent that I'm, it's kind of, I have a bias for, for finding it, but it's right. like, but one example, I, I guess, uh, kind of stand with the Hades thing is like to know that, you know, this is the Romanized version of Hades. Right. And Hades in, in his Greek context is like, has many names, like an unseen and like invisible, but also, uh, Another epithet for him is he who takes away, who takes everything away. Because when you when you die, he comes and, you know, takes you down to Hades. Right, right. But, but then you run it, you have to kind of take it out of that Greek and you go run it through the Roman and you get, he gets that, acquires that name dis. And then we see how do we use the word dis now? Well, the word dis means to take away, you know, disassociative disorder right. that's got a double dis in it <laughs> right and it could also be a negative thing if you you know if you diss someone right like a, a, a like a um negative to- yeah like towards their their on like towards their honor though like it's a it's a really bad way to you know say something yeah right yeah. right and so that's kind of something that my research is really touching on is how our language it still attaches to the spirit of these Greek divinities. Right. And, uh, and there's a, there's kind of like, um, uh, what's the word? Um, provenance. There's a provenance of the language, a genealogy of the language. Right. And we have to kind of, uh, see it th- through the Romans 
and then put it in its uh, Greek context. And then there's treasures to be found. There's many treasures to be found uh, with that lens. So I just, uh, yeah, you're going to be our go-to for all kinds of Greek questions. That sounds great, man. That sounds great. Yeah, it gives man. me a chance to really refresh a lot of things because, you know, there's all kinds of little connections to sentences and all these little things that I, I, I lost along the way, some of them, but I can still, as soon as I hear it, I'm back and I got it again. Cause I've, I've said it, you know, I've said it a bunch. The other thing is, is that I was with my Greek grandparents until my parents got home from work every day, you know? So I learned, I learned it from them. I didn't obviously didn't go to like school for it or anything, you know, but they had left Greece very, or they weren't going to school anymore for, cause of some war they were, you know, they didn't get this like full on education, you know, so I get a lot of slang here and there too. So there's times when I actually don't know a word like I thought I did that I get to, you know, relearn it. And it helps, it helps me actually know it better at the end of the day. But um, yeah, it, it's, I'm, it's something I, I'm going to revisit for sure. Cause there's a lot of languages I, I have my toes in and I want to, I want to keep them all, you know, at, at some level. And I know that Greek's the easiest one for me to just, th- just go full on with, cause I already have so much of it. So I hope to get a few other languages that kind of, that I'd, I'd never got to really focus on and sort of, you know, bring them up to speed and then I can really make the Greek happen. But every single time you guys are talking about something, the Greek ends up in there somewhere, it, whether it's, you know, with or without gematria, it, it has a, a very large part of what we say and do. So many words are still similar. Right. And then so many words definitely aren't, you know, they sound so different, like exaplase is Greek for, you know, sleep and rohalisi is snore. You know what I mean? These, some words are totally off balance. But a lot of them really still retain a lot of the roots and you recognize them almost right away, you know, even if you don't know the language. Yeah. About this uh, or this, because a lot of times that I is really more of an E sound. Mm-hmm. The of course, Caesar wrote that the Gauls derived the, their civilization from this potter, father, this father, this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of the reason why I really like to dispute mosaic history and show the like how much more ancient the biblical stories and astrotheology really is, is because so many kingdoms and and governments and nations are built on that lie or that uh, it's really more of like a trend. I don't even want to be like they're liars or they're bad men, but you know what was popular back in the day, definitely thing in Greece. I'm sure you're aware, George, like every city state, every tribe, they're tracing their descent from some hero or another hero, you know, naming their whole little micro civilization by the name of that particular heroic uh, forefather. So anyway, this is supposedly uh, Japhet, one of the sons of Noah is also called this, you know, or Dis. So to me, that makes a lot of sense because the three sons of Noah are a Trinity metaphor allegory as well. So one of them has to be sort of the underworld guy. And yeah, Caesar, Caesar wrote about that with the Gauls though. He was the founder. They also called him Samothes, the founder of the Celtic kingdom. I keep thinking of Dei also, you know, D-E-I. That oh, Dei, Dei. Yeah. hundred percent. It's all, it's and, all uh, yeah. Right. Dees easily could become Deus. Theos is a hop and a skip from Theos, which is another word for God, Deus and Theos. Those two words are evident words for God, Deus and Theos, demonstrating once again, the D to T interchangeability or D to TH interchangeability. It's 
for sure. What's the word? <laughs> I learned the word for that. Um, Beticism. That's the word we need to start using to really sound like a, mm. like professional ass researchers <laughs> right. talking about letter swaps instead of just calling them, you know, letter swaps, <laughs> call it a beticism, B-E-T-A-C-I-S-M or uh, yeah, beticism. That's the word for it. That thing. is very interesting. Very cool. Yes. Uh, yeah. Beta being language or house. <laughs> That's really cool. Uh, man. There's a lot right there, Chance, that you just put out. Uh, um, I'm going to ask George about, I might ask oh, you this. Oh, guys, question. I'm sorry. I just lied to everyone. Oh. Uh, be- Beticism is the B switching to the V. Oh. I okay. guess that doesn't mean okay. all letter switches, but, you know, that's but one be- of the letter switches is B to V. My bad. Okay. That's Not great. That's great. Wouldn't want to give misinformation. This, 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 So, George, I feel like I might have asked you this before, but I'm going to run it by you again. Like, uh, yeah. um, so I'm finding this strange thing around the letter F right. in the Greek alphabet. And that, uh, even today, when I look into, you know, in Greek, it was called uh, uh, isopsophy. Right. It's the, the, the real nerdy technical word term for gematria in Greek. Right. But even when I look up the alphabet today, the F is removed in the order and it's put in the, at the end of the list. Right. But its numerical value is still a six. And I'm just wondering That's- if. Yeah, and and I feel like there's a, some kind of superstition at foot. Hmm. Yeah. I, you know, and you're talking about lowercase. You're not talking about uppercase, because every I so often there's like a pretty stark difference, but not really. I mean, I don't. I don't. I didn't notice. I think it just uh, just in general that the F was like added in at the at the very end, and um, and I just wonder if that uh, if that rings true to anything that you know of. Because what are you talking about? F added into the Greek alphabet. It's like a as a a latecomer. Uh, there the is no F in the Greek alphabet. Well, I think that's what he means. That like they, you know, after the fact, they kind of shoved it in there at the oh, end. Okay, there's just the, the fee. It's all I know about. Yeah, it skips from uh, epsilon to zeta. Yeah, it right, goes right. from e to g. And then, uh, you know, when I look it up, the F is like a post, uh, a post arrival. It comes at the end, uh, like a, like, like it was late to the party. And oh, I just okay. Want- yeah. In the, the last after, tau would be the uh, like traditional end of it, right? The original mm-hmm. 16 letters. Thanks. And then you get upsilon up, phi, chi, psi, or C and omega, and omega come later. Right. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't actually. I I honestly don't know. Now, I want to. I want to. This kind of maybe put a bias in your mind, right? Musically, what would that maybe imply? If F was was seen through a musical lens by the Greeks, right? Would there be any reason for them to avoid it or to dance around it? Because they even they don't. Because the name of it is digamma. Right, which which is tech. They're even kind of being superstitious. I think 
when they call it twice three, they, they don't even name it. Like they don't even name it six. They don't give it its own name. They even use double three to refer to it. Right. So I, I just, so I feel like there's some, because that's very what, interesting. Yeah. And I'm kind of leading the witness a little bit because no, it's good. I, I, I appreciate it because it helps me think about more things now. Musically, you're saying, you know, I yeah. that it can go on for it hours. Interesting. Cause if you kept the digamma, then sorry, I didn't realize we we're talking no, no, about no. digamma. Then uh, the yeah. ancient Irish alphabet would have, would be identical to the Greek in terms of the 17 letters instead of 16. Oh, I see. Interestingly. Uh, so uh, go keep going, George. No, that's interesting. Just wanted to yeah. sprinkle the seasoning on. Well, that. no, that's good. That's good. You know, cause F, F falls into an interesting spot in the history of how we, and as I say, I think I've said it in every single vibrant is that we're, we're associating a letter name with a certain frequency. It's just, it's almost meaningless in, in general, you know, F is whatever F they wanted it to be that day. If they yeah. had an instrument, maybe it was in tune like it was the day before, you know, you, you didn't know. But the way yeah. that we generally look at F and the way we think about it, yes, it's the sixth letter from A, but C is our go-to Bible you know, first note. So it's usually four. I don't know if that helps us think about anything. So beyond that, when you say two threes, two thirds are how we make a chord. There's a major third and a minor third or vice versa, minor third and a major third. So two thirds, you know, two threes is really a very hefty thing in music. It's, it's the basis for all harmony that we use now. Wow. And maybe not so much back then. Back then was more of a scalar approach and maybe not so much of a chord thing. And there's hardly any record to prove it regardless. So two threes is a big deal, actually. Wow. And and you, the, what you're speaking about, how it's, it's not, it's still number six, even though it's at the bottom and it wasn't where it belonged. Right. This actually is the idea of inversion too, because a note going in one direction is a sixth. And if you go backwards instead from the original note, you'll get a third instead. So it would be in a, the same note exists in a different numerical setting, depending on whether you go up or down right. from, what, from whatever note you're traveling from. So, yeah, there's a there's an idea there musically. It's cool that that's that's cool, man. I, I, I didn't think about that, but it could be more than that, too, because there were there was the hexachord gamut where you had six notes only. But they generally consider them starting from and again, this is very loose from C or from G or from F. And there was a, you know, there was a hard and a soft for the most part. And I think F was the soft one. I got to re re look at that. I, I forgot. Yeah. I think F was called a soft hexachord as opposed to a hard one. And G was the other one. So gamma being the where F would be, you know, F and G are always around musically speaking and all the yeah. stuff we used to talk about with the pillars and the, the things that we've discussed, you know, musically F and G are like, they go hand in hand in that relating to C. So there are, there's some, there's some things there. I'd have to yeah. now write some things out and look at it. Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> so Gabe, <laughs> I've cool. been telling you to watch the prisoner and here you are bringing up whether or not we can say six or not. Uh, <laughs> and that's like a big part of that show. You got to watch that show because like everyone in this village gets a number and the main character's number is number six. And he's the one they're trying to crack. And you know about your Enneagram and six, and they're trying to make people into sixes. And he's the six that is loyal to himself rather than loyal to a group. And they're wow. perplexed. They can't figure him out. They're like, what is this number six? He's not like a, a six should be. Whoa. It's, it's going to blow your mind. You got to go watch that. But um, wow. so, can we talk so a little I'm, more about the digamma? Because yeah, well, I, okay, go I, ahead. I, I'll hold well, on. I, I got it written down. 
It's all good. I think we're seeing the dogma mm. of digamma. And I'm thinking that what if the uh, F sharp, the devil's mm. tone, yeah. what if that is the, uh, this, char- this character in The Prisoner, the one who's an individual who, the, uh, who, you know, doesn't, who doesn't sit well with the collectivism, and then the F, the soft F, right, would be uh, the uh, okay. So a six on the enneagram is a loyalist, on is its virtue, and its vice or its shadow side is fear. Hmm. And those two natures play off of each other. And so the character in the prisoner would be uh, the fear factor, because he's not a loyalist. He's not going along to get along. He doesn't buy the surface level narrative. Um, uh, yeah, I think there's something really neat going on here. I, I don't speak music and I can tell because I don't speak music. I can tell that I'm only seeing half of the magic of my own project. Well, because the, there's the magic though of it is that everything relates in some way, you know, and you're nailing it, man. Cause F sharp, as uh-huh. I said, C is usually one. If you go six clicks from C, you get F yeah. sharp. F sharp is the sixth click has to, you know, going one note by one note. So it did it. There it yeah. is. You know? Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> that is very interesting. So, yeah. So in the symposium, they're talking around this missing six position. The sixth seat is, uh, is empty. Hmm. And, uh, uh, Socrates is number seven. And eventually this interloper comes after the whole di- uh, dialogue happens. Uh, this drunk dude, Alcibiades, comes barging in and he <laughs> plops down in the sixth seat. And uh-huh. he tries to p- get betru- between Socrates and he the host of the party, Agathon. What's that? He gets sixty. It's getting sixty. It's getting real sixty. Socrates, like a little too into Socrates. <laughs> right, right. Well, and then... Um, and Socrates even says like, nothing should be between us. No one should get between us. There's nothing. He says it like three times. He's implying the emptiness of that six or the, the void in the seating arrangement. But the fun, the, the other kind of fascinating thing is that in uh, Socrates last day, he's uh, or his last days, he's in prison and he's speaking to his daimon and his daimon is telling him to, uh, he missed a detail and that he should turn his attentions, uh, open himself up to music. Hmm. And, and he has this reflection where he's like, is it possible that, uh, the unreasonable, uh, feeling aspect of the human experience is the, uh, is the, uh, frontier that I never mastered. Uh, and so he kind of has a, a a, a little bit of regret. So while he's in prison, he actually does compose uh, some ditherams or some uh, some poetry to, that is supposed to be to music, but it's not very good because it's like it's like his all time weakness is that right. artist uh, musical uh, aspect. And I just in uh, so that yeah. tells me kind of yeah that I need to maybe look at music so I can mm-hmm. see the full picture of what was being said all along. I see. Yeah, I need I need to see it too to make the yeah. proper connections, you know. Yeah, man. We can look at it together. That's interesting. That's real interesting. Yeah, cuz I I know you've I've seen you put together the, you know, the chords on a circle. Right. You know, 
and you focus on that uh, that line right up yeah. and down the middle. Is, tell me exactly. what is that? Yeah, what is that line again? Is it the F to the C? Is it's that what that C to F sharp? And that is the tritone that you know we were discussing. Yeah, yeah. So there's the tritone, and again, that's that sixth. You know, technically the sixth note above C. So um, that that pole, so to speak, Lee, and on the outsides of F sharp are going to be G and F. You know what I mean? Depending yeah. on which wheel you look at. But the one I want to think of, that that's the best choice, I think, because it leads to either, you know, F sharp's the black key on the piano that's in between F and G, you know, and F and G are, the, and the reason it matters is that F and G relate the strongest to C. You know, we can, we can find all of our, all of our basis for dissonance and what it wants to do comes from exactly what we're discussing. So it's a big part of music in general, you know? Yeah. I got to say thank you to Brother Marty Leeds of the Gnostic Church and Academy. Always quick on the super chat. Really appreciate oh, it, dude. So excited for y'all, them, you and Jennifer, awesome. to move out here. We're going to have a good time. Just in time for my Jennifer's birthday, I'm cooking something up. So be ready. Nice. Are they, uh, how soon is that going to happen? Well, I saw like dogs in a suitcase. Oh, a dog and a cat. <laughs> so awesome. I think it's soon. Maybe he'll let us know in the chat. It's so exciting, though. We have like just a he, George. I know that Kentucky called you there, but if that house doesn't work out, you can always come out to South Missouri. Oh, man. A lot, a lot of happening. Hey, but if we have time, I'd hope to stop by at least and say hi, man. We'll, we'll pull that off at the very least. But yeah. Oh, I can't wait for nice real life, George Hug. Actual. Oh, man. <laughs> Sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I think we should tail off just for a moment. Now that we talk about all the hard and soft hexachords and stuff, that F is called the mole, M O E L L E, and G is called the dorum, D U R U M. So I'm not sure if that helps you think of anything else that relates to any other words or anything that comes to mind. Because I'm not sure if that relates in my mind to anything else <laughs> right now. I'm still thinking Ooh. about Diagamma. I've got, I'm holding on to a Diagamma quote. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Hopefully Chance is not cooking meth. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very unhappy accident if I was. I'm pretty sure I'm not. Okay, so I want to, I want to read a couple of quotes for you guys. Yeah. To think about like. Jacques de Molay. Ah, who's that? The mole. Mole, mole. Did you say the mole is the relates to the which that's, which that's note? F. Wow, he was very discordant. Hmm. Oh, fascinating. Okay, sorry. Go ahead, Chan. Good, good. Oh, no problem. We're just having fun here. No, this no is rules. good. This is good. So, there's this author called Bishop March Marsh, who uh, I'm pretty sure this quote comes from within Higgins Anacalypsis book, huge book. Like why I'm so into the old sources like this early 1800s book uh, by, from Higgins isn't necessarily because I think all his conclusions are right, but because he's citing so many other sources that you would just never hear about otherwise, but you can find like an archive.org. Cause just think about how, Gabe, you were just telling me today about you go to look up some juicy nugget that you've got in your back pocket that, and you know where it is and it's just no longer findable online, right? 
that's been going on for a long time before the internet. <laughs> so like in the early, like late 1700s, all through the 1700s, when, you know, world travel started to open up a lot, there were, and when the British empire was big, there are all kinds of learned gentlemen going all over the place, trying to figure out what was up, you know, le- learning. And some of the information that they, they got from like the Brahmins and from exploring just has vanished or is no longer available, like literal book burning or like the knowledge is then put in a vault somewhere or kept secret. So when you get into some of these sources, like this guy, Bishop Marsh, that uh, Higgins is quoting here, you might not even be able to go somewhere in India and have the experience that got you that information, but you got to wonder like, why was this person writing it down anyway? And so it all becomes just points in the column of, very curious, very interesting. And if you get enough points over in that column on a certain idea, then you can consider it a reasonable uh, assumption until other evidence proves it otherwise, you know? So he's talking about the use of the digamma and talking about Dees in this quote. And he says, so I'm going to be doing a little bit of reading here, so bear with me. But if you want to jump in at any point and like, you have to, you have to, Add a little on top, please do. I'm not going to lose my place. So he says, uh, the digamma represented the Vav or the W, which, by the way, is a Phoenician character as well. And Marsh wrote about it that it has been thought indeed, it has been thought indeed anomalous to insert the digamma in such a word as D or die, but which is in the Greek like delta, iota, iota. But one of the iotas has like the long E sound accent mark. So he says, but to judge of the digamma, we should not speak of insertion for it was a constituent part of the primitive Greek alphabet. And our present forms were occasioned by the omission of it. Let us ask, therefore, in the first place, in what manner the nominative Zeus or rather Deus, according to the aeolic form, was originally written by the Pelasgi. Pelasgi are the Phoenicians who brought the uh, the letters to the Greeks. They could not at first have written Deus as Delta, Epsilon, Upsilon, Sigma, D-E-U-S, for the Upsilon was an addition to the primitive Greek alphabet, which ended with Tau, or T, like the Phoenician, Samaritan, Hebrew, Chaldee, and Syriac alphabets. The digamma, on the other hand, was a constituent part of the primitive Greek alphabet. It was the sixth letter in the Greek alphabet, as the corresponding letter in was in all the alphabets just mentioned. The word, therefore, just like our letter F, is the sixth. The word, therefore, which was afterward written Deus, what well, must have at first been written Deus, Delta, Epsilon, Digamma, Sigma, which would look like D-E-F-S, but pronounced like a, with a W, Deus, D-E-W-S. So there, you know, the F is also interchanging with the W, Vav sound. And also written Deus, D-I-W-S, or Delta, Iota, Digamma, Sigma. But the genitive and dat- dative of Deus could have been no other than Dios, Delta, Iota, Digamma, Omicron, Sigma, D-I-W-O-S, 
and Dewey, D-I-W-I, which when the digamma was dropped, because Dios and D. Hence, also, we see the reason why Dios and Dies, or D, or De, came to be the genitive and dative of Zeus. So, why it's important and interesting to consider that, <laughs> like, the change in the drop of the digamma is also because the uh, a, a guy named Betham, who did a lot of research into the all over the world stuff, he was friends with Godfrey Higgins, you know, it goes on and on. He actually, I lost my, I lost where the quote was, but he actually brings up that the, not only is there Dies Pitar of the Latin, like a Dies Pitter, whatever, we already brought that up, right? D-I-E-S-P-I-T-E-R, which is like father Dis, <laughs> basically. There's, uh, he, this Betham guy claims that the Lord of the air to the ancient Hindus was Diwas Pitar, like D-I-W-A-S. So there's another, like if that's, if that be true, then you have a very strong link between the, uh, oh, I found the quote here. Here we go. This is from Betham. Yeah, he says, we have said that the name of Zeus is of an Orient Zeus is of an Oriental origin. It appears, in fact, to be only a varied form of Dis. Zeus is Dis, which in Old Persian denoted the heavens, as Herodotus informs us. In the mythology of India, the Lord of the Air is styled Dewas Pitar, or D I W E S P I T E R, as in, as that of the Latins Dis. Potter. So I just, I think that's, uh, that's worth considering. And, you know, I think part of the symbolism, uh, <laughs> Dylan might not agree with me on this actually. Hey, what's up, buddy? Hi. I think Hi. part of the symbolism of the, the all father type guy, whoever the father is, the big daddy, big G, Zeus, Dees, whoever he might be, you know, think about how Oranos means sky in Greek. I think, yeah, the, the sun is like the emblem of the top G, but I think actually the all father is the whole sky. And so that's why all the different constellations and all the storybook of the mythology of that character is in each constellation. So like the sun is his chariot. That's his emblem. You, you, where's he at right now? He's wherever the sun's at, but all of the whole sky is actually the whole psychodrama of the being. So yeah. <laughs> Did we find something we disagree on or do you agree with that too, Dylan? Not really. I think you're right. Like, like I do think you're right. Um, I haven't come across any quotes with that, but you see that Uranos. By the way, respect your elders. Okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> Gabe, good to see you. Hey, man, you guys, I'm, I'm late to the party, but I skipped cardio Just so I could time. be here. And I wanted to see if I could interest you in some gravy about the Minoans. <laughs> Looking a lot like some Native Americans because um, <laughs> you were yeah. talking about Creek, Creek and Greek the other day. Remember, I had yeah, all these yeah. like, tabs open. Yeah, I had all these tabs open that we didn't get to, so I thought it would be fun you know, to, to pop on and see. Because uh, I haven't really dug deep into this, but um, I thought that was really interesting. We were just uh, talking about the die gamma, not like die gamma, <laughs> but like the letter. Yeah. Oh, cool. Uh, would would you, well? I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna go replay because I'm I it's something I really wanted to catch, but I didn't realize you guys were doing it, and I uh, had a late day. Anyways, um, 
How was the gym? There is some, you were just in the gym, right? Dude, it was good. But the problem, yeah. So yesterday, uh, last time, last week, I finally, um, I had been stuck at 70 pound uh, dumbbells for the upright press like this or incline press. And Holy uh, shit. I'm just stoked about getting 60 today. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know how we're, you know, we we go, uh, like, you get, once you get to the rep max, you got to go up five pounds. So last week I got to the rep max. So I was, I was all excited to do 75s today and I couldn't even get one rep for 75. So I had to, I had to go back. Like, it was like, it felt like a regression, but it's like, oh, something's not ready to, strength isn't there to move on yet. But other than that, like, that's good strength already is a good place to be. So. Not a yes, bad sir. place. Yes, to, it's not a plateau. Just keep going. I'm just going to uh, change my screen a little bit so it doesn't go to sleep. Where is that? Anyway, so what else is good? Gabe? Or hey, or George, what are you guys up to? You got any gravy for me? Uh, uh, you know, I'm here for the soup kitchen. <laughs> the ladling. <laughs> well, I actually wanted to mention Tuesday, like things day. Is what you reminded me of earlier, Chance. But yours there started you with go, the D. Dude, you, that's huge. Okay, yeah, so we yeah. were just talking about, I was talking about the Diagamma rem- removal and how the Deus or Zeus would have theoretically could have been Diwas or Dews, D I W S, D I W E S. T to D interchange, baby. That's two. That's Tuesday. That's Tuesday. That's it. Holy shit. It's all the same guy. It's all this. This is the thing that is like really frustrating to people is uh, look at that. Doesn't this, this is some Minoan gravy. I've just been looking very pre preliminary. I'm not, you know, I'm not getting too excited, but I'm kind of getting a little excited because <laughs> I'm, my, my thing is like, I'm, I know there's diffusion. I'm just struggling to prove it because there's a lack of inscription. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's kind of like where we're at, but um. Yeah, it's, it, it is all the same system of priest class. And that's what I'm saying. When you see it in these different regions, it's one, one little affinity or one little thing is not, you know, you still have to investigate. Once you start putting those dots together and then you compare it with like maybe religious rites or clothing or uh, even a style of like agriculture or food or anything like that, you start seeing that it's mathematically impossible. There wasn't some interaction. The question I'm having is who's doing it? Who's initiating it? And why are there no inscriptions? Obviously, they're destroying stuff. But one of the things I had that we didn't get to um, on Sunday was I was going to go over like the runes that that are like the Elder Futar, mm-hmm. which is like what they say exists all the way back close to the the turn of the, you know, from from the first century to like the seventh century AD. But it has a lot of the same qualities that we've exposed with like the uh, Rosetta stones and how they just show up in conveniently in convenient places, Mm -hmm. like every, like in the last 300 years and only, uh, you know, Champollion, the hidden hand can translate it. And he's using the, divination and all this other stuff and then there's other people that are coming along and saying no it's actually more like the the welsh and what we were when you were talking about that diagram and all that stuff were you guys talking about like the original 16 letters how like maybe like like even like the welsh like you'll see this all in these language like they'll have like the welsh i think has like 36 letters or something 
but only 16 of them are the radicals or the originals, mm-hmm. right? So like each language has this system everywhere and they add on, sometimes they subtract, like English will subtract things like the ash, you know, that AE ligature that used to be for like Egypt or Ethiopia, right? But then they take that away and just like, well, right. can replace. we don't need to do the ash anymore. So you see like the, the changes, the, the digamma used to act like a, a vav, but also an F. And that's where you see this V, W, F interchange. Yes. Like you'll see all this in all these weird languages. So you, you can see that, okay, who creates the languages? The priests. Not the kings. We have the term signature, sign, because priests, I mean, because kings, barons, they weren't literate, a lot of them. So they would have their sign. It wasn't until right. like, it started getting more widely spread and they got more initiated into it that they learned the languages. So there is, so whenever you see letters, it's mathematically impossible. It's not coming from priests, especially from it's the early ones. Now, what do those inscriptions reveal? Are they enlightening the world or are they just silly ass things like son of, you know, <laughs> son of Hoder buried mm-hmm. here? That's not really a, a, a priestly reason to go out of the way to do some of this shit. You know what I mean? Like if there's a, a lot of weird stuff going on, but I sent them to, Chance and I've actually been working on a post that is actually really interesting. If you guys want to get into some of that gravy with uh, some of the early, like, like, look at this. This is supposed to be. This is called the Vimmos Code. So they found the Vimmos Horde. See if I can. So one thing I'd throw in with the with the priests is that they then have the Actors Guild disseminate the program to the masses. Since the beginning, yeah, yeah, and especially uh, in the Greeks, yep, and you know, De Vere's his name is you know immortalized allegedly through the Shakespearean codices. Hmm. There's a huge thing about De Vere's and how he is uh, the word that W is basically like a hyper sigil, and it all through Shakespeare is like giving all significance to De Vere's. Uh, and so it's just fascinating to me that here we are looking at that letter again, and it was such a keystone to the Shakespearean uh, codex. And there not there like a lot of cons- like, not, I don't want to say conspiracy, but there's a lot of like mystery about who wrote Shakespeare and mm-hmm. yeah. was one guy and whatnot. So right. it could have been the priests. Yes. The uh, and what were the first priests called? Hypocrites. Actors, yes. <laughs> I mean, sorry, the first actors, yeah, you got me. But they were priests, sorry. Right, totally. Yeah, you got me. Right, you know, what do you guys uh, think about this? Or Chance, if you want to, like, type this in and bring it up in the share screen on yours, it might be better. The is this famine, in the, uh, the email you sent me? No, no, this is, this is just, because uh, uh, before we do that, I just wanted to show you some, what I mean by this, where, like, they find these inscriptions in nature. Uh, it's called the Famine Stella. F-A-M-I-N-E space S-T-E-L-A for people who want to just look it okay, up. Okay, I'll look that up. And it's like, they expect you to believe that this shit has been exposed to the element for thousands of years and it's still pristine on the rocks. Right? And you see that same thing with like uh, the Behistun inscription in uh, for the cuneiform and stuff. It's on a rock on the side of a mountain carved get snowed on like there's all this stuff and it still looks really crisp and pristine and it's like what's going on here so i think and nobody I, noticed it for, until recently yeah. <laughs> fairly like you know relatively really recently so this is in aswan and this is significant only be, in my opinion because that's where the cataracts 
begin. So if you were like going by boat, there gets a point where the Nile becomes impassable and you have to get out and then start up at another part. And so that I just figured I'd say, what do you guys think? Does that look legit to you? Do you think that's possible that that's thousands of years old? So that's dated uh, 332 BC to 31 BC. I mean, it's worth being suspicious of for sure. Agreed. And that is <laughs> just right out there in the Big elements. Time. One thing we know about the sun is anything that's out in the sun gets damaged. Really? Right. Ask the audience. Is there? Is I'm not on the live stream, but say plus one real, plus two fake. Because I'm going to go watch this. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Well, you just did. Plus you just real, asked them. Like, let us know fake. what you think. Yeah. Um, one thing that comes to mind is that it's broken, much like the alleged tablets of of Moses, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But but then famine uh, has a lot of weight behind it. You know, it, um, uh, Fama is the she's the uh, goddess of of rumors, and so to be in infamy, to have to be a famous person, is comes with a lot of baggage. Of people are going to talk shit about you. Uh, behind your back there's going to be tons of rumors uh so it's almost the fact that they named it that is kind of like uh puts a lot of propagandistic energy around it you know that isn't it, it an interesting isn't it interesting how like the more we start learning and peeling back the layers the more we realize like a lot of the people that are demonized as like villains were actually like the good guys trying to like fight the empire you know you see that a lot in italy too where like machiavelli Machiavelli was like, he was an Italian patriot. He was trying, he really wanted to see Italy like get its like unification back. And right. now he's like, looked at as like a psychopath. And they always misquote him. They say the ends justify the means. And that's a mistranslation. It's really all he wrote was one must consider the final result. So why would you mistranslate that? And, and wow, that's a serious skewing. That's a big, that's a big one. Isn't <laughs> that it crazy? Why, am I mistaken? But they call uh, translators traitors in Italy. Yeah. The translator is the traitor. Yeah. Oh man, I never heard that. That's amazing. Right. And you know, that's such a great point because that's something I'm really getting into is like most of these people, their their life work in the context and the time and the place where they were, it's totally understandable and, and appropriate for them in their life. But then somebody comes up along posthumously and starts to add and build and and utilize and manipulate their life work. And then, uh, but the, and then it kind of leads into chances. Got a great quote. I don't know where that came from, but it's like, if you want to change the world, you have to be willing to give somebody else the credit. Well, that works even for nefarious things too. If you want to change the world, you got to blame somebody else for doing it. <laughs> well, yeah, the, uh, the quote is you can do anything as long as you're willing to give someone else the credit. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Where'd you get that? That actually was a quote from uh, like a Peruvian shaman. I found that very interesting. He he could have been a grifter. You never know. (laughs) (laughs) Let me take this. He's like, yes, just let me take everything you've done and do my own thing with it and take all the credit. (laughs) That uh, that famine, Stella, though, you know, I'm out of the thing about it. The, maybe my jury is still out, but I do think it's sus. It's worth being suspicious of. That's where I'm at. Like, That's so, so the stuff that I have to share with you, we're going to go status quo. And all I want to ask is, is it possible that this is a forgery? Like, would this be hard to forge? Right. So the next one I want to show you guys is if you want to type it up, it's called the Vinmos 
Vimose, and it's spelled V-I-M-O-S-E, get that Moshe, V, right? Vimose, V-I-M-O-S-E, Combe, C-O-M-B. And it's at the National Museum of Denmark. And that's the runes. I mean, it's like, it's, that's, that's their basically. I totally missed the spelling. Will you say it again, Vimose? Yeah, no, V-I-M-O-S-E, Vimos, or Vimos. I don't know how to pronounce it. Forgive me, Nordlings. Um, <laughs> but it's, it was found in a bog on the island of Hunen in Denmark. And um, it was, wasn't found. And this is something I wanted for like George and um, Gabe to pay attention to in the chat. Not found till 1850 to 1860. AD, right? So again, another thing that nobody notices until the modern era, and it's dated to be from the first few centuries, and it's made out of like antler or whatever. And so I was like, well, what's that? What's the, like the how long would antler last before it rots? And apparently, you know, because the bog is underwater, it doesn't get uh, the, the bugs and all that stuff. Apparently, it, it's totally doable. But for those of you who grew up in the 90s, you might have remembered the wooden desks that everybody had and the carvings on them. And that's really all it looks like. There's like nothing exceptional. Mm -hmm. This is not in a time where people don't have skills for carving, right? Like they're making marble, realistic marble statues. It's a time where actually the time and attention to make something beautiful and ornate was usually taken, you know, it was available. Yeah. And we know it's a priest language. Looking down on us like, oh, your shit is sloppy. What are you doing? <laughs> right. Unless, of course, a king did this, right? <laughs> Which is because they couldn't do nothing. But I, I, you know, I wanted to mention earlier, I just wanted to throw it out, is that uh, Shakespeare had the king's men as his troop, you know? So, of course, it might have been more of an implication of the illiteracy of the whole thing. But this really does look like, it looks like chicken scratch. I mean, it, it, I don't want to be so. Go over the, the, the where this is supposed to have come from and the age of it again. It was, it was um, found in a bog. Remember how I was telling you, like, one of the ways they find stuff in, in um, Ireland and stuff is because when the wars were coming, they would store their uh, valuables in the water so that, if, that nobody would be able to find them. And that's why they're found later on is because the person probably died in battle or whatever or was forced to flee. But, um, and I'm not, so I'm not saying it's not possible for this to happen. I'm just, I just wanted to bring it out there. So it's found in, on an island in Funen in Denmark. It's called the Vimos, I think, Hoard or the Vimos. There's a bunch of different artifacts you can look up. And um, it was, wasn't noticed until 1850, 1860 AD. And historically, people know me. I call this like the height of archaeological charlatanry because of all the shit that's coming out. We're getting dinosaurs, you know, everything. Yeah, all of a sudden, 1850, you're right. But I wanted a big marker. Yeah. And the thing I wanted to bring to your attention, guys, is like back then, if that is dated correctly, the only people that knew language are going to be the priests or alphabets. And if you know anything about their penmanship and their ability to carve with pen knives and all that stuff, um, (laughs) Pete's sake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because they're, yeah, yep, found in the Pete, yep. Uh, Somewhere someone's squirting because of that. Someday we'll get. Yeah. Someday you'll be up here talking to us sometime, Louis. Yeah, like yeah, he's a good guy. Um, yeah. He researches like. Well, he, you can have, you can like have him pop on anytime. I like him. Um, but that's the thing is like, why would anybody be writing on this in a priestly language? 
if the people who are only the scribes and all that stuff were not commoners able to write. So what is the purpose of writing on that comb? That's just something to keep in mind. You know, could be a priest's wife or, or whatever is going on. I don't know. You know, not everybody is. Uh, you see plenty of people like who run that priestly system. They got more mistresses than, <laughs> I mean, more bastard children than anybody. But most people probably had partners in their lives because they were like, you know, rock stars almost. But, How um, big is that supposed to be? How wide is that? Was it for animals or for humans? No, it's just a, it's just a comb for your hair. So how big is it? I don't know. It's it's because that might not. Be. A, yeah, it's probably not much bigger. I don't know. I know there are pictures online you can find with the ruler. So chat, Vimos code one. It's possible that it's a forgery. Two, it's totally impossible to forge that. <laughs> then you got the Vimos uh, chape or chape. I don't know how to say that, but this is like one of those things like a, like that goes in the pommel of a sword. And so if you want to type. Uh, I don't know if you'll be able to find it because I had to like kind of search kind of hard for this stuff. But again, Vimos, V-I-M-O-S-E or Vimose, someone correct me on my pronunciation. And Chape 1, C-H-A-P-E space 1. And you'll see, I mean, again, Keep in mind at the time these this is all from the same bog that's not noticed till the nineteen or eighteen fifties. Is this the right thing? I don't know if I got. Yeah, that's you that's got. it. That, that's that's the that's uh this that's um that's two. You don't need to bring up uh, one or or maybe you do. Yeah, that is that is it. That's it. Only you would it, it would just be turned on the side. But yeah, so that's what you're looking at, and we have to like come to the conclusion like is this legit or is it not legit? Oh, I it, see. Uh, it's got runes on it, right? I see a uh, yeah. There's there's runes on it. For sure. Right. I see a, a uh, Fehu. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's like um, it's written in two directions. Like it's running one way and then the other, up and down the spine of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, if you just type in, what's important chance? about these is okay. they're claimed to be like some of the oldest. This is like Eldar Futhark, but not noticed, not noticed before the 1850. So that's, so it's not noticed in any other period when it was supposed to exist until my concerns with the archeological people. Right. Same holes in it too. They look like they're about the same size as the ones that were in the comb for the three sections. Each had a hole on top. Oh yeah. So maybe they're, are they trying to, if it's a four, they could have been the same tool actually, if it's real. Right. That that's one thing that looks the same that I would say, unlike the scratch, chicken scratch. It'd be cool to do. We know what they're what it says allegedly. Like, I've got my I got my runes book here. I could try According to sound to it out. Wikipedia, it hmm. says possibly Mariha or Makija. Possibly Mari, the famous one, is the sword of Allah. Oh, <laughs> oh really? wow. That's what it says on Wikipedia according to, on this <laughs> the most wow. Mari and Allah. Okay. It's actually Mario's sword. He's a time traveler. <laughs> I just wanted to test you to see if you're paying attention. But you know, like if it was in the realm of forgery, that's the kind of thing they would put on it and they would be like laughing about it. Right. Well, well, what does it mean? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying even, to make even the status quo. Like, you know, that is kind of a it's kind of funny because we're looking at Mari and Allah. It's like you know, God and goddess right there. And what were the Maori? Those are those Maori, not a Tanya. Uh-huh. You know, one other thing 
all of these are hair artifacts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the hair is considered in many cultures still today. Uh, no, to this be is a like, sword. This is a sword pommel. Oh, this is the handle oh. of a sword. Yeah, but still, still I want to hear what you're okay. about to say. Like the pommel, the, the, the hair artifact. on the bottom of the hilt. Yeah, well, the, the hair artifacts are like, um, the hair is uh, believed to be like the uh, your history, uh, your ancestors, your past. Mm. You know, some people still think that it's like, you know, dead brain cells. Uh, <laughs> and in like, you know, Rasta culture, they believe that the wiser you are, the more hair you have. And you don't want to you don't want to get rid of your hair because you you would be shedding your uh, wisdom. You know, like Samson, he becomes weak when he loses his hair. And, and I've even heard that. And I don't think this is across the board, but I think there are some sects of, of Rasta uh, faith that they actually believe that they will be pulled up by their dreadlocks in the end days. And so the stronger the dreads, the better chance that you have to hold on when, when Jaja come take you away. <laughs> so what you just said there might be a key to diffusion because the long hair is also sacred to like the Japanese, right? Like the samurai, like that was like really bad to get your hair cut off, wasn't it? If I'm not mistaken. Totally. Yes. It's like yeah. really degrading. So what yeah, if there is if you some- were like exiled or dishonored, you cut off the top knot, right? We've all seen the samurai movies. Right. Of course. So <laughs> you know can't. if you just another that so same I want to say about the uh the possibility of You know, there could be sort of like a middle ground between fake and real in the sense that maybe not as old as they're said to be or that it's a real artifact. But then someone scratched the runes on there. And we have to consider that as possible, too. I mean, we're not making claims about any of this. We're just open opening up a dialogue and asking questions about like we're just looking at what some of the oldest claims are to this uh, to this particular script. and. I think there's a huge motivation to, especially in the last couple hundred years, to do some kind of big discovery, even at the cost of honesty. You know, this is if you can make a discovery that supports what the rest of academia is saying about a particular people or culture, it's like your ticket into the history books, your ticket into tenure. It's really a big deal. So there's, Imagine I just been putting myself in the shoes of being some kind of like researcher, archaeologist type, been grinding for years, getting no recognition, not, you know, and the temptation to do just a like you believe it. You you believe that something like what you made up could actually have existed. So you're like, you know, it's only kind of a lie, you know, like (laughs) they really were a people here and they really did use this language and they really had, you know, artifacts like this. So. I'm only slightly being dishonest. Like I can just see the, uh, I can just see the the motivation to get a little clout for just a slight transgression of honesty in their mind. You know, like it, to me, it's not that big of a stretch of the imagination. So it's not that we like that any of this stuff is useless to look at. It's just worth keeping that in the back pocket with most historical artifacts. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I think everybody in this space is, is we're, we're over the last 10 years, we've really co- uncovered some lies that we didn't even realize how bad the lies are. And now with that mindset, a lot of us are turning to history and realizing, oh, this is not just the phenomena of the modern era. Like they've been doing really bad, big lies for a long time. And what is it for? Like when I, the reason I'm, I don't get emotional about this stuff is because I, 
set out with the understanding that it might be possible that everything I've ever looked at was within the framework of the lie. And what got me on that was when I was reading the Greek stuff and seeing it and translated in English and going, why does it match up to English so well? With you yeah. with like the rhymes and all this stuff. And I'm just like, this something feels real off about this. Yeah, when things rhyme. It's like a chicken, Patrick Teller. <laughs> they found like a chicken leg and they were like, it's so funny. You just came up with the T-Rex, which is slightly scratching the truth. <laughs> I'm not saying a- that any level of lying is any less of a you know transgression against natural law than slight or large, but I'm just putting myself in the mind you know, of right. one of these potential archaeologists and there's a big tenta- temptation there, yeah, I think. You're right. Chance, can you just put number two in the same thing that you wrote but get the other pommel just so they can see oh yeah yeah this one's very small too it's like less than 10 centimeters i've already got it pulled up in my other window here we go so that gives them a a foot into a some form of immortality you know if you can have your name kept on the books for even yeah for whatever period of time and that's what's fascinating is how you know uh history is uh is an avenue to immortality uh and they're long gone by the time we realized that they were fucking with us well and the whole system of authority as truth rather than truth as the authority that we've been indoctrinated into as a civilization for god knows how long means that so much of this stuff can get fly under anybody's radar get established and then more things get established on that. It's like you, <laughs> if you build a foundation on a, a bad foundation, like bad foundation, house of sand, whatever, you know, yeah. that's how it seems to be with, uh, with history for sure. And there's also, this is going to be more of a far out conjecture, but I sometimes wonder about whether or not things are found, um, because they're being looked for mm. not even in necessarily a disingenuous way, but like, I, I really like fringe stuff. <laughs> so the whole idea of like psychic archeology span is potentially like some of those accounts are also fraudulent, but that what the earth actually turns up, you know, whenever you what's in the box is the cat alive or dead that there's some level of, uh, because I really think this is a mental realm we're in. And also, I think that it's a a plane of, as Topher likes to put it, like this is the plane where people get what they want. They get what they wish, whether for good or bad. And so is the whole function of the past, as we consider it kind of illusory, and it's in a type of flux as much as the future and what we look for and what we expect to find also flavors what we find to some degree. I know that's like very wishy-washy and it's not something you can really plant a flag in, but I, I consider that possibility. Cause like, you know, my dad is a professional treasure hunter actually. <laughs> and he, he finds stuff because like he has this sort of childlike exploration mindset and how he's doing it. And it's, I don't know, he's able to sort of just manifest what it is he's wishing to find. And he does. And I wonder what, what that has into play with things like the past being kind of um, as mutable or uh, illusion as much as the future is not real yet that this there's this present moment reality and we're all trying to find (laughs) needles and haystacks uh, 
you know, expecting that there's some sort of solid, we're trying to find the canvas that all the, the universe is painted on and we keep pulling things off, clearing things out of the way. And it's just a mirror. It's like, there's nothing there. That's all in my head too. I know that's more, you know, flimsy and all that. I have no counter no, to that. That's, no, that's good. I have an addition, perhaps. I have an addition. Um, think about bogs in general, right? Why are they suddenly finding things in bogs that they weren't finding? I mean, it's, it's a crapshoot, like you were saying. Um, but I'm always thinking about the way where what we, what we see growing up, if anyone watched Labyrinth, there's the bog of eternal stench, right? And you wouldn't dream of ever daring to go near that thing, right? But if, if you had no idea what a bog really was, and then suddenly you're presented with the idea of searching for things in bogs, you're probably not wanting to do it anymore because you watched this movie and they, and they, as usual, the narrative tells you it's a terrible idea. Stay away from bogs, you know? Loch Ness. Just one. The bog <laughs> <Yeah>. witch. <laughs> right, the bog witch, yeah. Exactly. I'm thinking of the C to G thing, bog and bach. Guys, <laughs> that sounds like a, a monster that, we, you know, a witcher might come across. And I think one of the things people don't like about us is to speak in metaphor or in allegories. We survived the trials of the grasses. So now we're witchers and we see the monsters. We can go into the houses of God and we see the monsters and the rest of the people can't see what we're seeing. And the monsters know that we can see them and they know that we're witchers. So what they have to do is they have to steer perception and make us the bad guys questioning the narrative we're the crazy ones we're the conspiracy theorists when we're just literally trying to help people we're the grifters (laughs) yeah and so that's what i really have i really loved those book series because i felt like you know the witcher he takes up he takes out all these monsters but the people don't appreciate them you read the actual books Oh yeah, I end up the video games are best, dude. dude the I hated the last. I hated how the book that, series that is ended. Real man's fantasy, Dylan. I love it. The Witcher book the series. I, maybe you guys have seen the Satanic Cuties Flick show. Maybe you played the actually good game series, but the books, man, they are something else. People should read the Witcher novels. Oh, Just leaving that out there. Go do. Well, that. I didn't like how they made him turn simp after a you know a prostitute. You know, he was a. You know, <laughs> And what happens, he dies, not to spoil it for you. The last book is like, is it's almost like a different author wrote it. I did not like how it concluded, but he dies. I did like, I don't like how he died. I don't think he, he broke the code as he, he took a side in empire and he died in battle fighting for one of the sides of the empire. And so I do like that about it because it shows you you're a witcher before everything else, guys, you can't get caught up in the government and stuff and the priest. You can move between everybody. You can be friends with everybody. Uh, provided that they're maintaining some sort of like socially calibrated point of honor, but you can't take sides because that once you take a side, there's no going back from that. Yeah. That is so true in these type of studies as well, that like you take a side in the form of take on an identity. I'm this, I'm that, you know, Mm -hmm. and that it's gonna cause bridges to get burned someday it's going to cause feelings to get hurt it's going to cause cognitive dissonance if something gets in you know interrupts what you thought your identity meant and at the end of the day what what is it worth is it really worth it to hold this label of i am a whatever 
You know, I know we're calling ourselves witchers, but that's just a metaphor. That's just an analogy. <laughs> yeah, we're not actually. <laughs> we're not. I mean, maybe Gabe, Gabe actually has got some uh, Savanti. You know, he's got might be some, got some yellow cat-like eyes under there. I, I think the four of us could probably, you know, George could be our bard. <laughs> nice. Yeah, for real. We could probably. I'm in. I'm in. We could do a troop. We could totally do like. Oh man, that'd be sick. <laughs> you know, I think that brings up an interesting point too, is that only the very, very best and potentially slightly luckiest storytellers can actually end something. It is a major issue with movies and books. You know, endings can be, they either have to do that perfect Hollywood ending right at the end. You get the, you get the kiss at the sunset and you're, everything's great. You know, you murdered the bad guy. Everyone clapped in the theater. Wow. Um, what does that do to your culture? Right. And then so many books, so many novels, they just, they just seem to kind of just right at the end, they just cram it. I got to end this thing. All right, it's over. I hit Ryan, my 500 page quota. I'm good. The endings are a huge issue. That's yeah. such a good point. Like, uh, I, I'm going to dig it, it out of my notes. It falls apart because there's no such thing as the end in it, reality. Yeah, right. We're ending these things. Right. And, and there's, that's been a big topic uh, lately. Right. Like, right. Uh, you know, Chance and I were talking a week ago about how uh, the, the culture of miniseries actually sends people to bed with no closure. Mm. You don't get the, time, you don't right? get catharsis. And then you go and you process in your subconscious and there's a sense of no resolution. And then that goes on for a couple decades where people are like going to sleep with no sense of closure. And next thing you know, you're like, you got a whole culture that's prone to neurotic outbreaks <laughs> and believing in, and believing in, uh, you know, whatever the news is going to tell them. No, you're right. And that's the C to F sharp. That's the dissonance that it's waiting to resolve and it doesn't. So, wow, man. That game, that might've been one of the most profound things I've ever, and you've said a lot of profound things over the years, <laughs> but that might be the one we laugh. Uh, we, we are a culture without closure. Right. Right, man. Right. You know, for me in martial arts, I learned that, you know, the real high grade performers at the end of the game, mm. they would say a prayer at the end and mm. ground their energy at the foot of the instruments. And I was like, that is grace. That is grace. Giving thanks at the end of the meal. Mm -hmm. And so I changed my game right then and there. I was converted. And, you know, I learned that, uh, you know, that's actually what it's all about is saying thanks. Even after you get your ass kicked saying, thanks for getting your ass kicked. You know what I mean? Uh, but then I started to just kind of see how we, we do engage in ritual and ceremony, all of us in various ways, you know, in science, they call it procedure, you know, but that's just, that's just ritual. Um, but we don't close it off. You know, we don't give it, we don't give respect in the end and say, you know, thanks for kicking my ass. Uh, yeah, it's pretty profound. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and well, Jordan, say, yeah, real quick shout out. Thank you, Logan, for the super chat over on Rockfin. You you the man, most awesome. consistent super chatter. Amazing. Yeah, people should join our Telegram group and uh we will circulate around again his awesome scope work too. Incredible stuff. Cool. And then I want to just hop on also on what you just said, Gabriel, that the uh the closure thing. We talked about that with Carrie last week about opening sacred space, closing sacred space. And I'm finding it or so far, I've actually been finding it challenging to do it that at the end of the, uh, it's almost like part of taking your time and not being in a rush. Oddly enough the, I've been noticing like, Oh wow. The, the ceremony, the tuning session was a few hours ago. And I'm just now remembering 
maybe even the next day I didn't close the space. Like it's easy to remember to give thanks, open it up, but closing it. And that is also about grounding and, you know, letting go of any of the, of that moment and going into the next moment. There's something about that. And it's almost like we're in this sequelitis resistant to the moment of closure. It's a big part of the culture. And I've been trying to remember that as well. And, uh, that's a, good That's a good neologism. I like it. Mm. George, George yeah. said too, with like the movies and the book endings, right? Like it's not just the minis, it's everything. But then you look at like to another degree, one of the things that's really difficult um, about relationships in general is very few people end relationships in a professional way. They just like disappear so like, you know, it's like you go from being someone's like one of the biggest parts of your life to now they treat you like a stranger. That's another thing. And so the more that happens to you in life, the more that's going to fuck you up emotionally. Right. So it's like, you know, not to sound like a, someone who's like, oh, you got to be pious, whatever. But <laughs> you need to be weary of like getting involved in relationships with people like intimate relationships, because when they don't work out, that's like a huge uh void that takes a while to heal sometimes you know especially if you like really plan something you know and all of a sudden it doesn't work out like it can really sidetrack you yeah but um if you guys are willing out because chance has a really bunch of really good he has all the elder runes ready to go the elder food nice. but before we get into that i wanted to see if you guys i i, I came across this the other day it's called the naga helmets or nega like a N-E-G-A-U. What you talking about, nigga? <laughs> oh my god! Imagine if we got like canceled. We're done. It's that. over. It's like, this, is from, this is an Etruscan, old Italian from Slovenia, right? Found in Slovenia, but people understand like the how close Slovenia is, Austria. There's parts of like Italy that still speak German, whatever. Um, they're called N-E, uh, spelled N-E-G-A-U, face helmet, right? And so these are found with inscriptions, right? Um, again, we're dealing with a similar thing found in 1812, dated to circa 450 BC to 350 BC. But these are like way older, right? Because they're from the Etruscan Empire. Now, could the runes on them be scribed in? Yes. Could the artifacts be real? Yes. Could both be real? Yes. But we will let the chat, it'll be interesting to see what the chat has to say. However, they thought these were like um, runes at first. And this is what I'm trying to tell people. Like, no, this the runes, even if you just go look up on Wiki, whether it's Elder Futhark, whether it's Younger Futhark, they're of italic, old italic origin. And I don't know why they say that, because if you just look at the... I mean, I guess I do because there's some other stuff after, like the Ashi and all that, whatever. But what they mean by that is attrition. And, it, and it's almost like there's like this cover up that I'm sitting here. It's like, why is everybody trying to hide the basic reality? And what they thought was like original, um, like Elder Futhar or something like that. Like they thought it was like the early transition. It just turned out to be northern attrition. And that's what it says. Hmm. right but what's interesting on that is in the inscriptions whoops there's celtic and german names <laughs> and um i'll just read you this 
many interpretations of this inscription have been proffered in the past, but the most recent interpretation is by Tom Markey in 2001, who reads the inscription, Arikasti uh, Teva. And right there, I'm seeing Greek, right? Like, if you look at this, dude, it's like, that's a chi, or chi, sorry, in Greek, right? It's like, acts like a ch, right? And it says, Aragast, the priest, from Tewa, Tevas, or Tewas, God. And if you remember, we did the Phoenician origin of Tur, and that, that rune that represents him is Tewas. Well, even there, Tiwas, back to our talk about the diagram. Yeah, there it is. We're again. like looking at views. <laughs> you know, we're looking at things, Deo, Deo. things. Yeah. Iota, Upsilon, uh, Eta, Sigma. And so another inscribed helmet also found at the site bears several names, mostly Celtic, followed by the religious titles. Now, at least this jives with what I'm talking about with the priests. So that's good. Now, Marky believes that the text is Germanic, meditated through. Uh, Redic, which accounts for some of the difficulties in the reading, such as the lack of declen- um, declensional ending in the first element, Hadikasti, but you're seeing Hari in the beginning, H R I. And so in Etrusian, H R H E R I, that's going to be like holy. But in Indian, in Sanskrit, you're going to be things uh, pertaining to uh, uh, saviors and then. As you, as Odin, you, was it Odin you were saying is sometimes called Herion or something like that? And it's oh, like the yeah. Lord of Hosts, but it's also back. like the Lord of, it's like a, it's some, Lord it's of also, Hosts. But it also has something to do with army too. And so that's why, that's what hosts. the army, yeah, the army and the hosts get in. You know, mm, it's just like, I'll find the word. I have it written down here in this big notebook. It's not very many pages back. But, but it this says, is in the Havamal. There is uh, one of the epithets of no Odin. <laughs> is Herjan or Herjan H E R J A N in transliterated to English, Lord of the Host. <laughs> and Jan is going to be Janus, Janus, right? So yeah, J- Janus, Jan. Yeah, exactly. And the year is reckoned in January. Some of the other right. epithets of Odin that I wrote down from the Prosetta God of Cargos. So, you know, mm-hmm. that sounds very Mercury to me. Then, third highest. 3D, they call it 3D, T H R I D I. Well, if that's 3D. three portions of the year, that third would be highest. So the winter solstice, because that third highest is the lowest. If you sounds, yeah, the, it sounds like thrice great Cap- as well. Capricorn. <laughs> thrice yeah. Great, yeah. Capricorn is the lowest, equator, and then winter. And then there's Capricorn. another one that I thought was interesting uh, Nikar. Which they or Hnikar, I don't know. Maybe these helmets are of him. They uh transliterate that to on driver. We're gonna get strikes. We're done. That's racist. It's over. Hnikar on driver, which I I think they just mean you're they're something driving something else on, but you know, Mm -hmm. on is also name of the sun, just pointing that out. And then bail worker, (laughs) bolvaker, bail worker. Man, you got Vare, which is very I don't know if they're up. right about calling him Bull Verker, meaning Bale Worker. I think maybe they may be ref- that that Wild language man. may be more revolving around Bull or Bale than uh, Bale as in a bale of hay. Right, Just my right, two right. cents. Maybe. Oh, I didn't even think about a bale of hay. So good after all. Well, so with these inscriptions on the helmets, right? He said formerly some scholars have seen 
the inscription as an early incarnation of the runic alphabet, but it is now accepted that the script is North Etruscan proper and precedes the formation of the runic alphabet. And we could keep going, right? This, this is a post that I'm gonna I'm working on right now. It'll probably it probably won't come out for a couple months, but I want to show you another one. So if you type in the Meldorf fibula, so it's M-E-L-D-O-R-F space fibula, F-I-B-U-L-A. Again, not found till 1979. Mm-hmm. And according to Wiki, here's the controversy. It revolves primarily around whether their, their graphemes are to be understood as runic, proto-runic, or Latin characters. So in other words, they don't know, in my opinion, this is likely a forgery when you see it. It's like it's claimed to be an artifact from 160 AD. And I can't click on any of these um, just because I'm in like a, like an, mm. it hasn't posted yet, but yeah, it's chance we'll get it. Yeah, I got it right here. And so if you look at that, it's basically I-D-I-N, Eden. <laughs> and, and they don't know if it's, they don't, and, and that's just anybody's guess. Like you're just assuming, mm-hmm. but even that they don't, you just saw that they don't know if it's runic, proto-runic, or Latin characters, right? So I don't know what this, like, uh, aversion to people not recognizing that ru- all the runic systems come from Etruscian, Old Latin, or in, uh, Old Italian, I should say, Old Italic. Yeah, it doesn't, you know, I also think resistance to that idea, even though it is kind of, it's a kind of a mainstream idea, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. It's not like they get everything wrong, but... I think it's important maybe to say for those out there who have some tangled up identity with that is in some way not liking that idea that the ruins come from the Italian script. It doesn't take away any kind of like divinatory value of the system. You know, in my opinion, opinion, someone can make up an Oracle deck Right yeah, off, right. off their head, you could make a deck of just words that you wrote down on index cards and shuffle it up and use it for divination. That, the and only so, thing is this: when there's actually a lot of energy and a lot of people using something for divination, the way the runes are, I think that even adds to the sort of I don't know <laughs> the mystic thing that you're able to tap into. I think that it's yeah, all man. perfectly valid in terms of the ways they're used as a. Uh, sort of like spiritual systems. I think that's great. doesn't devalue anything to just show where sort of the chain of custody has come from in their origins. Yeah. And that's, I I guess that might be, I don't focus on that. Sorry, Gabe, just want to make, like I focus on history. So divination, you can use anything. You could use chopsticks, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. I focus on history. Do you want to know the truth or not? And for me, it's, I don't believe anybody listening to me. If you do not serve truth first, you can kiss any delusional service to God that you think you're doing because truth must come first. And when I get corrected, the only thing that comes out of my mouth really is, oh, thank you. Like, I want to be right. Like, that's my goal is to be right. Otherwise, I can't serve truth. And then I can't serve God. So for me, I don't have any attachment to this shit other than it's going where it goes. And if you can correct it, correct it. Now we're ready to get into whatever chance wanted to get the emails after this. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I just was looking at this today, Dylan. What do you think of the? Uh, have you seen the liver of Pia Senka? Mm-hmm. Senza? 
Yeah. Get into I, some I'm augury not, I'm reading. Not adept. I'm not this adept enough to decipher this. This sure, is Etruscan. Sure. What do you th- like? So, what do you think about it? They're they're using this to claim that the uh, Etruscans had a 16 house astrology system, which I think is very really? interesting in conjunction with the 16 letter alphabet. My only contention with that is as follows. From what I gather to the older sources, there is not enough writings of the Etruscans left behind to decipher the language. So then I would say, how do you know that that's what they're saying in those inscriptions? I that would be my only, that would, that's the only thing that I would offer to that. But if anybody, you know, if somebody somehow figured out how to do it, then maybe it is that, I don't know. But it is, uh, it's pretty cool. You know, this is supposedly a sheep liver and it's like a guide to how you would read the entrails, the augury. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And they, I just and they I was looking at that, that today. I don't have a lot to say about it. It's just a cool artifact. Well, you know, is it, I was about real? It says, <laughs> is it real? Gabe, Gabe, another question. Hold on. Yeah. Why is Gabe not talking about how Piazza, uh, Piacenza? Is that what it, it looks from where I'm saying the eyes merge and it looks like placenta. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Okay. Uh, we got whole... to placenta within 15 minutes tonight. So right. Oh, man. It's coming back around. So there's a whole lot going on here. For Okay, for one, 360 divided by 16 gives you 22.5, which is a very sacred Venusian number, a 225-day orbital period of Venus. So that's a very interesting math. Um. Now, also, uh, divination per the liver is uh, has a hailing back to Prometheus, as mm-hmm. Prometheus his liver was extracted daily by the vultures. Um, Prometheus in the stars, he is Andromeda uh, there at the uh, on the climb of the Analima, right at the X mark. And then the vulture falling down and descending upon him—that's the other end of the Analima crossing the X which is Vulturnalia. So I just wanted to throw all that in the, in the mix that we, uh, that augury reading and the, the liver aspect is, uh, it does have a Promethean spirit about it. Um, but then I also, uh, chance on what you were saying about how it doesn't take anything away from the divinatory systems, you know, something that this is kind of a really, I think an important component, uh, spiritually, you know, the northern uh, groups took a lot of pride in the in the power of the individual. And the more southern collectives had were really into working as a team, you know, and you could even go to Sparta, you know, the Spartans, the phalanx. They learned the technology of the phalanx and how you can lock those those shields so that your left hand man is literally keeping you alive. And if the man to your left, if he falls, then you fall. And, you know, that's also what kind of gets me is how that's actually uh, that's the, that's also kind of based on the technology of Gemini. The constellation Gemini is two brothers in arms locked together. And so that interdependency, it's both cosmological, but it's also psychological. Um, and so I think a lot you of what people the prisoner, dude. <laughs> and so I think a lot of people who have a that northern Germanic bend to their uh, to their cosmology, it's it's beautiful in the aspect of uh, you know go it alone, being independent, self reliant. All of that is badass. 
Uh, and it only gets stronger when you find a, a brother in arms who's equally as self-reliant, who you can see eye to eye, you know, and that's how you overthrow all that collectivism. But when it comes to divination, something really neat happens. And this is what kind of touches on my project is, you know, I believe uh, that these the tarot is for a one on one relationship between you and the cards or you and the reader who you've chosen to be your medium. Like, you know, when I go to uh, watch Kaylee on uh, Monday Tarot, I am giving my consent to let her be my my medium because I know that that's what I'm there for. It's all transparent. But what I'm doing on my channel is I'm finding out that the filmmakers are casting one tarot read to a collective of people who did not know they were going into the theater to have a tarot reading. And the effect of that is that there's a collectivist tarot psychological archetypal spell happening that the people didn't know that's what they were getting involved in when they went in that dark room. Non-consensual tarot. Non-consensual tarotism. Yeah, so there is something really important about that, like where all the terms of the agreement are on the surface and we all know what we're getting into. And that's why I could choose Kaylee to be my reader. But when I go to the fucking Marvel comics and I see fucking tarot and archetypes getting thrown around, I'm like, nah, wait a second. Something's not being transparent. There's something in the subtext here that they're not telling Taro- us. Tarotism, terrorism. <laughs> <laughs> right, and what, is, right, right. what does tarot mean? The law, the law. Right, right. Oh, no, no, sorry. No, no, no. I was thinking Torah. Torah. But it's kind well, of like it, an uh, anagram. It relates. No, sorry. it totally relates. It's mistake, the tower. Guys. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and even, you know, I've never really thought about this before, but just so close phonetically. Tarot, and say it with the without a silent T at the end. Tarot. Taut. It's like, you know, it's not a far stretch at all. Right. And uh, the R and the Ashi, that, that she, the like R English R, is a D. Just throwing it out there. The Ashi? What's the Ashi? Remind me. That's like the, that's like the Italian language after the Etruscans. Kind of like in a region nearby, but you know, I might have grown up in like the later part of it. But like, yeah, it's like between them and like Latin and stuff. So it's like attrition in some spots, but it goes. I think it does go right to left. If I'm not mistaken. No, sorry, left to right. Kind of. I mm-hmm. think like that vase. Remember that vase you had with the Matheson guy, where it was oh like yeah, vase, yeah, but it was in it, but it was still like left to right. But it was like looked like a Trucian. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Like I just I see Buddha or Thoth everywhere that there's a everywhere. T to a T. Wherever there's a starts with a T, ends with right. a T, T I'm T. suspicious there. <laughs> Even the word total, tot al, right? Al mm-hmm. is another right. one of those old archetypes for God. Tot, Buddha, yep. You know, it's like it's Tr- there. Tr- that's Tr- what I'm saying. There's a system. Yeah, total. You guys want to get into these other food arcs? I do. I want to oh, make yeah. a quick announcement. I saw Mike Winter in the chat. I want to remind everyone a second time that uh, tomorrow at noon central, I I'm going to be up. on Alpha Vedic. So come hang out with us live with Mike and Dr. Bear Lando. It's going to be a great time. Excited to join them. Oh, dude, there. I thought you were talking about another Mike. I thought that was my- No, there's also Chance's episode with Mike on Parallel Systems Broadcast is coming out tomorrow as well. Cued oh, up. it is? 
Hell yeah. So you're going to be like double fisting like Gabe over here. He's double fisting. Like there's a good couple of weeks with that where I wasn't on any other shows. And now I've got like four to uh, (laughs) promote it once. It's funny how that works. It's like a cycle, but yeah, come. Well, I'll promote that on the telegram too. You guys should just be, if you like what we do here, be on the interverse telegram channel. I'll throw that in the live chat links, but it's the best way to stay you know, up to date with all the content and there's a lot of it. So yeah, we're going to get into, but yeah, Alpha Vedic, the Alpha cast tomorrow, be there at noon central. It's going to be fun. Or catch the replay. And everybody, and yeah, we're so going to get into some of the stuff. Dylan had uh, shot me in an email, look at more of the, the oldest dated anyway, examples of the, of runic artifacts. So the first one is the, uh, how would you say this? Is it Arstad? Forgive me. Uh, I don't know what the Arstad. little circle on the top of the A <laughs> makes it yeah, sound like. A, it looks so like basically Arstad. A-R-S-T-A-D. Like the A in Skull. Skull! Um, so that one. Oh, man. I got yeah. a Air 404 on that link. No of way. Of course. I'll, uh, I'll post it in the comments so you guys can bring it up too. Um, I just searched video. within the okay. website though and I think I may have found it, but I'm Okay, cool. There's images here. Okay. So it's uh, runesdb.eu. And then it's going to be whatever. There else. There's a million others. Yeah. yeah. That looks like what it's supposed to look like, right, Dylan? Yeah, that, then that one looks like the one that was in Rhode Island, like the ones that are found in America, though. So Talk it's like about nuts. that, too. Well, so there was a runestone found where I grew up. Um, and there's also one that I'm, I have got a post on this coming out that was called, uh, where was that guy in Massachusetts? Just Dighton. Was it Dighton? Where's the guy that just got arrested for the leak in Massachusetts? I think it's Dighton. But so there's, there's been rune stones that have been, that, well, that are alleged to be fa- uh, real, right? Again, there's nothing to date it. They're, what they said is because it's using a hooked X, that mean they stopped using that around 1300 AD. So it's at least that old. And I don't know, you know, like without other artifacts, it's just a one-off. And I think that's, what's so challenging about a lot of, a lot of these stuff is there's no other artifacts to really tell a story. And going back to this thing, I want people to keep in their mind where the world is not being enlightened by these runestones. Like, even if it was like waterfall, you know, 200 paces, whatever, you know, like if, if there was something like dangerous, you know, just something that was like a, that necessitated going through this effort to inscribe these things. And you just see these like mediocre inscriptions that don't really, uh, don't really enlighten anybody on anything. And, and a lot of times it, the interpretations are just very muddied. And, and so this Arstad stone, this is one of, one of the first rune stones of the Elder Futhark, uh, it's a, it's externally dated to 390 to 590 AD, but guess what year it was found in? 1855. So nobody noticed it until 1855. So audience, one if it's legit, if it can't be forged, two if it's possibly forged. I'm gonna go back and watch see what people think. When you guys are ready to go on the next one, we'll go on the next one. You guys want you know, to comment, big, comment? Quick, quick, funny thing to add here because I always picture this when I see this this kind of quality, this type of, if you want to call it quality. And in uh, if you know Monty Python on the Holy Grail, somebody 
wrote in Aramaic in a cave and he was dying as he wrote it and he wrote his death. It always looks like somebody's rushing to get the something out of the uh, Yeah. Right. So it looks like somebody's on their deathbed. I don't mean to joke about it, but somebody's on their deathbed, like rushing to get this inscription out. It's never clean and polished, just like you're saying. You're totally right. And keep in mind, this isn't this isn't like 9000 BC, guys, where this would be like a, an incredible feat. This is a time where they're carving and mining marble and like all these amazing things. Yeah. Maybe not marble, but they're, they're carving exactly, like realistic. That's a good point because, at, you know, contemporary to the date that they're giving to this, people were doing incredible things right. artist, artistically. And all, all kinds and of Italy is divided in two. Like Italy is like you see, like because Italy was Celtic and Germanic, right? And as the empire increased the traffic from all over the world, we were tasting the beauty of the world. So a lot of our ancestors, you know, were mixed, whatever, right? But the north, further north you go in Italy, it's more Germanic. And this, to me, if I were like somebody who identified as Norse, whatever, I would be. This would be like insulting to me. Thought my people were only capable. So that's where I'm coming from. I'm actually a champion of the Germanic people. I feel a very close affinity. I grew up basically in a German household because my friends, uh, my best friend from kindergarten's mother was German, from Germany. Uh, They own land in the Black Forest, and so like there's, I grew up in this stuff, so I know a lot about the the culture or whatever, and I take great pride in the German people, and I see there's a lot of demonization (laughs) of them, especially with. The freaking Muslims, those Turks. Am I missing something? What are, you know, oh, PK's being a wise ass. So uh, carve that shit on a rock tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> that's so true. He also said, PK also said something about the liver in Mesopotamia. And that's really important because think about, mm. I'm so confident not to, you know, go on a Gardenian uh, tangent, but our <laughs> blood, our blood flow is so important to, I think, our disease. I think almost all of our ailments are a result of stagnating blood, and the liver has a huge deal in cleansing that, allegedly. So I don't know. But I'm just saying, I think I would be insulted if somebody was telling me, and literally at a time where like people had incredible skills, modern tools, and this is the best that, that we're coming from for the early source of the plant. And I'm sure yeah, there's going to be excuses as to why that is, but I don't know. That's where I'm at with it. It almost uh, kind of smells like they're trying to reinforce the concept of a caveman, mm. and specifically a German, yeah. a German caveman. You know, and the fact of oh. the matter is, our ancestors were badasses beyond measure. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's what the whole spirit world gravy is about. At the end of the day, that's what getting to the trying to get what we can of the true history and away from the fake story is about claiming the birthright of badass ancestors and then maybe like looking around and deciding we'd like to be more like the badass ancestors and less like the people on the on Wally. Right. Exactly. So that Mamu, that Turkish spy, I'm gonna publish that that account. So he's spying for the Ottoman Empire in uh Paris. And He's talking about, he's literally like making fun of the German people. This is, this is the most, the greatest fucking like historical perspective I've ever seen. He literally is making fun of the Germanic people. He says their horses are like used for plowing. So they're not fast, you know, because the Arabian horses, they're used to like some fast fucking steeds, right? But he's talking about how the horses are slow and hardy or whatever, like them. He's just kind of like basically making, like degrading them. And this is, all leading up 
right before the Battle of Vienna. And so what ends up happening is the Ottomans try coming through for that final push and who whooped their ass? Germanic people. Farmers. Don't go to war against farmers. They're used to life and death. They'll fuck you up, dude. That, that's what happened in World War II. I mean, come on. Look at the Russians, man. They, these people, this is what I'm saying. I think the runes are not legit, but I could be wrong. Because the next one is, again, the Enag stone. Enang stone. I don't even know how to say that. Someone else can figure that out. Einang. Yeah, Einang. Einang. That's how I would say it. If it looks I was like reading Asian it for your audiobook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so is that Greek though? Is it, you know, is it Greek? Is it whatever? I don't know. But you got that one up yet? Yeah. So this, guess what? Guess this same thing. It's allegedly created in the fourth century. But guess when it was discovered? 1938. <laughs> Why isn't anybody discovering this stuff earlier and this is this is the guys these are this is the foundation of elder futhar this is it's not based on anything that was discovered a long time ago this is what it's based on also in the text it refers to supposedly it, read it right here it may be the earliest inscription to mention the word runo for rune mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. but to me that's like Oh yeah, holy grail. <laughs> this is the Look, it even says rune. It's legit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's what I would if I was a forger, that's what I would do. Just saying. And you know, it it's almost like childlike. Yeah. Uh what were you saying, George? I was saying that Runo, you know, it's disyllabic now. Like, why is it two syllables all of a sudden? It's yeah. It's just far off. You know, um just today, this is really obscure. Uh Help me out. Is uh, Theos, doesn't that in Greek have a, uh, uh, also relate to a runner? That, uh, that I don't know. I believe that, like, uh, I'm listening to Socrates, and he's talking about uh, the nature of words and names, and uh, are they divine? Is the nature of the name within the sound of the word? Uh, it's Cratylus. It's uh, Socrates' dialogue uh, on the Cratylus. And I'm pretty sure he says that in Greek, the gods are called the Theos. And he says, and doesn't that make sense? Because they're, because uh, they, much like, you know, they call planets that meant wanderers. So they running on the tracks of the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. That's the sevenfold city of Troy and of Rome. Right. Right. That's exactly so I'm So I'm thinking about runners and runes. And also the idea of symbols being divine and having magical, being imbued with magical uh, value. And um, most just a just, of like motion. Right, right. And because um, I think Runo means like secret and like whispers. There's like, there's a, there is like a wind to it, like run like the wind type of deal. You know, there is mm. like a. Oh, right. That's the same meaning as ag- Agam, secret. Yeah, secret. Yeah, yeah, exactly. right. And the word drexa, drexa with the T is to rush or to hurry. So that has another T you know, at, the, at the beginning. So maybe that's another similar. This, this is what music. got me is like the other thing. Look, at, it's called Futhark. It's named after the first six letters or whatever, right? Well, what are yeah. all these alphabets named after? They were named after the first letters. Beth Luis Neon, Obeleth. This is where going back to this is what like people like Higgins and stuff helped me discover is 
this is a system. And if you look at the, the root letters, they all come from this 16 letter system. Right. And then they're either added on, subtract, whatever, but not always used. They're, they're there, right. but they're not always used. Like even like, I think the early Phoenician and the early Etruscan only had 13 letters that they used. So in, chat, in, one, one or two, is this legit? Is that inscription well, we legit? Say what the inscription translates to. Oh yeah, do it, do it. Is Gold Guest painted this runic inscription, or <laughs> I Gold Guest inscribed the runes? So basically, it's like, uh, <laughs> like why would you even do that? <laughs> I don't understand right. what Dylan's saying about this not enlightening anyone or containing any useful information. Is it the only thing useful about that inscription would be if you were the guy who discovered it, like, oh, this is the perfect inscription to have a great discovery. <laughs> I don't know. That's all I can say about it. It's like the I old like Johnny was climbing here, a you know? tree. Exactly. Yeah, 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 I, I yeah, was exactly here. Yeah. Johnny was here. Dude. So I've got another I've got another random thought. Um about the idea because runes are in the shape that they are such that they can be carved into trees and that's why there are uh they're minimal rounded shapes they're all straight uh that's uh, that's what they tell us is the reason for them to be so straight now what comes to mind and this is just free ball uh free ball association uh all caps letters Mm-hmm. All caps letters are, uh, you know, the public facing name that draws you into the public. We know about the legal system and all what the, the name, the guar, um, but it's also it's it's yelling, it's screaming. And like, you know, the guy who walks through town and he's like, 12 o'clock and all is well. That's a public notice. Yeah, you got it. It's public notice. And he's yelling out loud. So. There's some aspect of all of this putting us into the public. And in law, the public is the common. And the private is the ascended masters, those who work in equity, the unnameable, the clean, the clean ones, the higher class. And I just, I always see this divide, the two pillars, the Joaquin and the Boaz, and there's uh, the un, the sullied masses are always in the public in there. Uh, you know, it's like when Reagan let all the crazy people out of the out of the uh, insane asylum. Well, guess what happened when he did that? We are all now considered insane. We are our essences have been blended and we are now uh, the one in the same with the people that he let loose into the into the sullied masses. And they are hiding on the private side. And so I just wanted to make that strange association with the all caps straight nature of these letters, the screaming of all caps uh, in law, and the fact that it puts us all out in the in the public with where public notice is still a huge part of what revelation of the method that we decode when we do film. You know, hey, the, they're putting us word? on notice. Did you say a word called negwar? You said something I think might be important, but I didn't understand. No. Your nom de gloire, your all caps name is considered your, oh. your warning. Oh, no. it's your oh bat- yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the war name of war. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's your, it's well, your you battle name. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and so for for people who are more like Latin, that like guerre in Spanish, it's, yeah. it's the same war that that G and the G U or G is uh, like Bill, Will, Guillerme, right? It's the, that yeah. G B W interchange. Hmm. But that helmet was called Naga, and so I wonder if there's a connection to that. Hmm. And then in Mexico, they have the Naguals. The the they're like their natal animals based on the signs and I'm interesting like, this all this name of war this, this some, mm. I don't know it's part it just of the made me think of that that's why I asked right of the system I was just thinking about this idea of the second name last night you know all in the context of ancient history being mythology right mm-hmm. <laughs> so <clears throat> uh, Higgins has a quote here where he says there is scarcely one history, perhaps not one, which does not contain more religious fable than truth. And he, he goes on to talk about the 12 Caesars and the 12 signs of the Zodiac. Um, and anyway, like J- Julius Caesar, Caesar is like a title given to him. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, Christ is a title given to him. The Buddha, you know, he's the Buddha is a title given to him. So basically, again, a Higgins quote. There is scarcely a name in very ancient history, either sacred or profane, which was not an adopted or second name. So basically the the Christian name or the the name given with a reference to the supposed quality of or office of its owner, like the fact that a lot of people's last name was like Smith or Baker or Mm -hmm. whatever. So the point is this legal naming of things. (laughs) <laughs> Every time you get a new name bestowed on somebody in a in a histo- so-called historical story, where they're like taking on a name for their officer title, which we see a yeah. lot in the Roman history, a lot in Gre- Greek supposed history, that is probably the the mythos. We're probably looking at the same mythos over and over again, like Jesus the Christ. You know, this this the whole straw man story going on. Over and over again. And also it applies to where you can take a name and see that it's actually referring to their office or referring to their title, like John the Baptist, John being a, kind of an occulted Yoni, name of Yoni, right? Do- the dove and all the dove symbolism that goes along with that character. So sometimes it's a little more b- below the surface, but that their name is actually more one of these titles of office mm-hmm. and given to you as like it's their their name but so just watch out for this whole phenomenon of the second name or the special name whether it's being given to you in history or not as a history or as a mythology it's mythology when you see that in my opinion it's part of the part of the system right and so they've kind of like pulled us all into that system with what you're talking about the nom de guar the straw man the all caps the second the last name all of that etc so, yeah, so what's that, the nom de plume then? What's nom de plume? I've heard that too. Yeah, that's your writer's name. It's like oh, if you're okay, if you're okay, a ghostwriter, okay. it's, like, it's kind of goes back to what Chance was saying about if you want to uh, change the world, give somebody else the credit, uh, that kind of thing. Um, but but you know that um, an esquire, uh, lawyers take on this title of mm-hmm. of I'm the special boy. Esquire is uh, it is it's the same thing. It's like uh, this. Uh, a persona or a mask, so to say, that makes them, you know, the priests, basically. And it's fascinating. A lot of Italians, when, I was say a lot of Italians when they come over here, because 
people who come from like the Italian system, they understand the system. So when they come to right. America, they'll change their last name by like one letter or something, because mm-hmm. that will be the right. legal thing that won't affect their family name. They know about all this shit. See this? Yes. You, You're right. That, like in the that, mobs and stuff. Uh-huh. That comes up in a lot of interesting places. Like even uh, one of Spinoza's defining conversations as a student, he was listening to two of his gurus and they were discussing spiritually about how what happens when a person changes their name? Can they become, uh, will it change the fate? Like, you know, a lot of people believe that the angels have your name of, in the book of life is already written when you're born. Now, if you go and change your name, are you messing with the magic of that, of that system? Uh, so yeah, that's fascinating that when people come over, you know, they go through a one letter name change and maybe their, their destiny can be, yeah, maybe their destiny can be altered some way. That's funny. I like it. it I like the idea. The next, the next one on the table, unless you guys want to say something, is the one that I think is like probably the most legit out of any of these. And it's called the tombstone. <laughs> oh. T U N E. So it's all about George and his bardic, uh, <laughs> bardic nature. You, you could write a, 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 like a theme song, the tune song. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if, if chance the chance bring that up, you have that chance. It's uh, T U N E. You got distracted, but I do have it. Yeah, and this is another one where it's like <laughs> the the inscription on the stone. Hmm. Is basically just saying the name of who carved it. <laughs> Same thing. Same thing again. Same shit. Elder Futhark. It's allegedly dated from 200 AD to 450 AD. So right there, you're already seeing like they have no way of knowing. Like you might as well just be mm-hmm. admitting you don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. And 1627 is when it was discovered. And the reason I say that is because if you guys haven't found these stones, until after the freaking middle ages, how do you know to date them based on what letters people were using in the first couple centuries? If you don't have anything to reference it begin with, you know, it's like, there just seems to be something weird and maybe I'm missing something and there'll be people freaking out in the chat, but I just don't get it. And, and like I said, none of this shit enlightens us, but I like it. It looks good. It looks, it looks big. It looks like something that would look like more authentic. Right. And then somehow the Germanic culture went through some sort of extreme throttling of technical savvy. Mm -hmm. And and now they have the most technically advanced language in the world to the extent that there's like, I think it's in uh, Mein Kampf. There's a there's a word that is like many pages long. It's like one of the longest words in the world, Uh, which is just fascinating and that they're so they're so technically inclined still today you know uh, and Germans why are they the got most industrious people of europe bar none right artists right the best like like literally why do you think rome is so good why do you think rome had such powerful engineering right because right. like, this was the epicenter of that ancient world right they weren't it's not like italy was this like shut off place that nobody could get to you know what i mean and it's like you look at that nowadays, the Italians are more like the lazy, not lazy, like Italians are really gifted, like really talented at like arts and stuff, but they don't have that industriousness that the Germans have. The Germans mm-hmm. have the, the drive to get. What comes from like colder versus warmer place to live too, yeah. I think. 
has like lots of and, so, you know there's yeah. a lot of w's in this inscription <laughs> as well i find that interesting with all our ah, gamma that, talk that that the, uh, supposedly the name of the carver well oh. i mean on the carving the name of the carver says is we was we was so like there's a one letter w. away from t was double digamma yeah no it's real curious that that whole nazi thing was germany and all I studied when I was in music college was German and Austrian music for almost exclusively, you know, nice. it was the cultural oh, epicenter of the freaking world for a long time. Right. And I you know like- what I love about their painters? They are like the most, have you ever seen like all that area, like whether it's Germanic, all, all the, their paintings are so exquisite and crisp from like the Renaissance sure. period. It's best. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the language is, you hear a Bach piece sung, it's pretty beautiful. People are used to hearing the Hitler Hitlerian Germany, you know, it's not the same. That's when you're. Speaking <laughs> what are we up next? In a certain way. Oh, yeah. real quick. So on that tune rune, was it real? One, it's definitely real. Two, it it, it could be forged. Right. Next up is. The, I think everybody's just like in the could be either way. I can't. <laughs> I think the number two is. Yeah, we're all number. Nobody two wants right to make now. a make a stance. Uh, Kilverstone. Is that how you pronounce that? Yeah, it's the uh, Kil Kilverstan. <laughs> All right, so this one it's also known as uh, Rune G eighty eight. Gabe's probably got something cooking up with that. Right now. Yeah, yep. <laughs> so basically, it's a Swedish rune stone which dates to about four hundred A.D. and um, it was found during the excavation of a cemetery near a farm in at Kilver. Uh, in Gotland, and that's 1903. So again, we have another ancient elder Puthark not noticed by anybody until 1903. Not only that, but the inscription is the 24 elder Puthark runes in order. Like, mm-hmm. if this was a archaeological find, it was the jackpot find for someone's career. Like, oh, there it is. It's the alphabet in order. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it seems like a really convenient find. I don't know. And like, I don't want to like sound like that guy who's just always the skeptic, but this just, none of this is passing the sniff test for me. None of it. But that's me just because I've been so jaded, I guess, looking at this. I'm just like, I don't understand why everybody's making a big deal out of this. The next one is a, I don't even know how to pronounce this. Mojbro. Mojbro. I don't know. The Mojbro. Emoji. Get some more emoji, bro. So that's spelled M. I forget what that uh, O with the two dots at the top of it is called. Umlaut. Umlaut, yeah. Umlaut, yeah, 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 yeah. What's the U called? Do you know what the U, U called? U with the no. U with the two dots. Um, it's the same. It's the same thing. Um, I'm used to typing it. I just don't know how to pronounce it. It's M O J B R O runestone. For those who want to look, and that's U eight seven seven. And this one was created allegedly, this is when it's dated, whatever, the 5th to 6th century. So 400 AD to 550 AD, sometime in between them. At least this one is allegedly discovered in the 1600s. So it's a little Mm -hmm. bit, you know, like the tombstone. At least it's from the 17th century, but it's still not until the 17th century. Nobody noticed it before then, allegedly. And this is the Elder Futhark. This is the one, this is the language that everybody's so confident in in the beginning of the common era. 
I don't understand why. Ready to go to the next one? I would just say, uh, comparatively to the other ones, I like this one more. Like, if what does it say? Do you know? Um, let me pull that up. I'm just on the scale of believability. This one is more believable. Yeah, Yeah. you know, it also this is a this has Orion. You know that Mm -hmm. posture of the weapon over the head is very uh, accurate to Orion in. Uh, Orion is not on a horse, but just next to him is Monoceros. Mm. It's it's just off by a couple degrees that he could be, you know, you could just fuse Monoceros to his torso, and you've get you're getting Orion right there. So it looks like they don't know what it says. Is there's a contention about the translation of this? It's like not sure, but it but might a lot say, of is killed. Yeah, Frawaradas is killed. That's the uh, common interpretation. But there's a couple, so there's a couple letters the in between the that they don't know. Killed. Maybe it's like a headstone. So again, yeah. in the realm of believability, if like someone got killed, you maybe buried them or you just wanted to put a little marker up for them and mm-hmm. you were like a poor, poor commoner or something like that. It's impressive that you know the runes <laughs> but, right. you know, for back then, but Maybe I, I I think if I was going to believe any of them so far, I would this one would be the one I'd be more likely to believe. Yeah. But who knows? And again, only the priests know letters at this time, or people connected to that. And so maybe they were like, maybe he was like a king or a significant nobleman or something, and then the priest did that for him. I don't know. So one, if you think it's real, two, if you think it can be forged. Uh, the next up is the Yattersburg runestone. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but it's J-A-R-S-B-E-R-G. And um, again, it's in the Elder Futhark. <laughs> Dated from the 6th century. Not discovered till 1862. Looks cool. The translation is allegedly Lubaz, I'm right? called. Hafran, I'm called. Let me see. No, that's one of them. Um, do you maybe have your email? Link to the one you're talking about because I didn't see it in the email list. It d- didn't oh, come shit. next in order. Oh, maybe, maybe I uh, in the screen yard. I might have just uh, mixed it right there. And um, so it's liter- It's a. It's like an upright one, and uh, it's it's allegedly dated to the sixth century, and it says Lubaz. I'm called. Rafan, I'm called. I, the Errol, write the runes. The name Hrabnaz or Hrafan translates as raven. So it's probably like kind of like a Roden, uh, Odin type of symbolism, right? He's the one with the raven. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it's just like the other ones where well, dogs are barking, but it's just like the other ones where it's like the name of the person who carved it is what's on there, oddly enough. Like it was a trend. Right. And it's just, again, it's, it's, it's what is the necessity? Why? What are you actually trying to write? Like, what? What is the point of this? You know. And people say, "Oh, it's just for a religious ceremony, or whatever." But it's like, okay, maybe maybe it is like a phallic, uh, Buddhic, you know, site for offering stuff. That could very well be it. But just when I look at this, I'm again, I'm not enlightened, and this is not coming from a time of primitive people where this would be impressive. Thousands of years before. Uh, Christ, right? This is 
like a time where people are pretty much thriving. And artisanship is, is a lot better at this time. Um, and so the next one, uh, that the next one is the one you just had, I think, chance, uh, would be the Bjorketorp or whatever. <laughs> You're just there. Yeah, that's it. So that Bjorketorp, again, so this is the only one where it, I don't think there is a, a date on when it was discovered. Um, but they date it based on the runes to the 6th or the 7th century, and it's uh, Proto-Norse. So not, you know, not really uh, what we were looking for in terms of uh, antiquity. But, you know, it looks, it looks legit old. You know, it, it looks a little bit more legit. There's a detailed inscription, though, if you can click on it. Um, you scroll down a little bit, Chance, on that page, there's an actual, like, uh, inscription you can click, and that people can see that. It looks pretty much it looks legit, right? They're carving it in. They're painting it into, you know, someone else could have painted that in, right, just so you can read it. Mm-hmm. Looks legit, but nothing impressive. Nothing for what people are capable of at that time. Yeah. So this all runs from uh, left to right, correct? Yeah. Yeah. It ought to. It might not. I mean, because depending on how old it is, it might not. It might be the Bustrofidon style where it's going like right to left and right, left to right. You know what I mean? Where each other are aligned. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not skilled enough to, to read them. I'm just kind of getting into the, the reason I never focused on the North because I've never saw anything of antiquity there to warrant me looking into it for my purpose which was to show the ancient universal empire but just mm-hmm. looking at it you can see the same the same alphabetical origination right, um, right. but i don't know how to read it i can't read it but i'm sure there's people in the chat that know how to so the next would be stentoften stentoften i don't know how to say it it'd be a s-t-e-n-t-o-f-t-e-n that runestone Another one where it's the guy who wrote it carving his name into it. Is it? Oh my God. Are you serious? So again, this one is allegedly. Uh, It says to the dwellers and guests. Hob Wolfar gave full year. I Harry Wolfar. Mm -hmm. There's Harry. I master of the runes conceal here. Nine bucks, nine stallions. Hob Wolfar gave fruitful year. Hari Wolfar, I, master of the runes, conceal here runes of power. Incessantly plagued by maleficence, doomed to insidious death is he who this breaks. <laughs> I curse you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what's this? Uh, 1823. 1823. Okay. That one was kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, if you're curse uh, someone to, a, to insidious death, it, and should be for something nicer. <laughs> this one was definitely made by uh, Techno Viking. Remember that guy? Techno Viking? <laughs> <laughs> His ancestor made that for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's freaking great. Do, do we have an insight in how common it is to really I write on these angles? I could make that tomorrow, though, if I, had the, if I had a rock. Go ahead, George. Is it really common to write on these angles like this? Do we have a reference? No, there's no reference. This is what we're being given as the reference. This is the reference to the Elder Fruit Dark. Man, it's, it's like, it's, it's embarrassing. I'm not trying to insult you, but no, because this could be real. I don't want, but for me, I look at this and I'm just like, man, you guys have fallen. This is real. 
It's as um, good as so anything next, NASA gives. Yeah, yeah. And the next is the Eggia stone. So it's a E G G J A. You know, it's a, it's a pattern too, because it's the same kind of thing applied to in the Americas. Like, oh, we had to conquer them. They were savages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's right. the exact vibe I'm getting from this, man. It's like insulting. Right. I'm, I, I just don't like it. But I, again, it's just my emotionalism. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong. I could be totally We love their wrong. farming and their medicine though, but everything else has got to go. <laughs> <laughs> so this one uh, is... Allegedly dated from, stone. yeah, 600 to 700 in the common era is found in Norway. Um, but again, guess what date it was plowed up in 1917. I mean, just nothing's noticed until, you know, recently. It's just, it's just one after another. My grandfather was alive during this time. Like, and it doesn't have the, again, it just looks crude. Like letters had already changed by the time they were using this. Like this would this would be so much more believable if they're like, no, this is from uh, like Neolithic or some shit. Like like just like way older to kind of maybe correspond to like the stuff in Britain, you know, like those like those uh, what do you call it? like the dolmens and stuff that and like all these crazy megalithic things that they say is like from five thousand BC or whatever. That would make this impressive, but in sixth, seventh, and eighth century. And this is the best? I don't believe it for a second, but that's me. So one, one, if it's legit, two, if it could be fake. If it could be. doesn't mean it's fake, just if it could be. I do and find then, it in, okay, so in the inscription here, it's, uh, here's the offered translation. It is not touched by the sun, and the stone is not scored by an iron knife. No man may lay it bare. When the waning moon runs runs <laughs> misguided men may not lay the stone aside and the man that actually enlightens the world yeah this is actually got a cool carving right the man sprinkled this stone with corpse sea blood i guess when he with it he rubbed the tholes of the well-drilled boat as who came the army got hither onto the land of warriors a fish swimming out of the terrible stream a bird screaming into the enemy band so the fish it is interesting that this is stained with blood and that the, uh, the God of armies, Heras is uh, referred to. They're saying it's a psychopomp God as in an early form of Odin. To me, Heras is not a God name. It's a title. Then again, a lot of the names of given for gods are really more of a title. The uh, staining it with blood though. I find that interesting because uh, <clears throat> I was just reading in the Sankaniathon or Eusebius's game of telephone that they call the Sankaniathon, the, uh, the Phoenician cosmogony. I mentioned this earlier in the stream, quite a bit earlier in the stream, but there's a character in the Sankaniathon called Usuus or like Osuus. It's basically, it sounds a lot like uh, Jesus without a J, like an early form sounds of Jesus. Sounds like Jesus, yeah. And yeah, Esau's war. Actually, it most reminds me of Esau, like Jacob and Esau from the Old Testament, especially because he teaches people how to wear clothing and he wears animal skins as clothing. So, you know, presumably he's like hairy or furry because he's wearing furs, mm. which is how Esau is descri- described. And his name is like Esau, uh, like 
Esau or something like that. And part of his mythology is that he erects a pillar, two pillars. He erects a pillar to fire and a pillar to wind and then pours the blood of wild animals on it. So, you know, here we have an example of like a a stone with blood being poured on it. And it's got some sort of, you know, I like that word corpse. That's a really poetic word to describe blood. <laughs> yeah, I like I like that about the whole ca- the whole literary tradition of uh you know what's passed down to us from the Norse is cool. There's a lot of it's very poetic. There's a lot like that whole concept of kenning, uh the the ways they do their type of allegories is great. I like that. So we got I'm a couple a, more. I'm trying to actually land the plane here soon. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I, don't want to go I just posted if you want to show Isis, though. If you just want to show Isis, at least that's mm-hmm. from the first century AD. Yeah, I want to. Um, I want to make a comment on that last one. That there, that had a lot of high initiatory value in the reading. Um, the aspect about it is not touched by the sun and the iron, not by the iron of the knife. Uh, that kind of resonates with the uh, Akusmatikoi, the inner circle of the Pythagoreans. And uh, I just wanted to say that one kind of stands out as having a lot of initiatory value uh, attributed to what the, whatever they were saying. Uh, uh, also that, you know, the defiled ones cannot pass or turn over the stone. Uh, yeah. A lot of uh, elitism kind of, in the spirit of what was said there and astro uh like like when you're supposed to do rituals mm-hmm. like at certain yeah. points or whether it's like the cycle of the moon or whatever almost kind yeah. of remind me of not leaving the, the knife out in the full moon because it'll dull or some shit like that you know it's, it, exactly it's like, yeah and so the next is the rogue uh runestone if you're ready for that oh nice oh, that's Jesus. yeah Jesus. yeah Jesus. so that's so this is uh you know another god of war just like tur right and this was found in the bowels of Notre Dame when they were like redoing the basement. What? Yeah. Is this the uh, the fisherman's pillar or whatever? Yeah, boat p- pillar of the boatman. Yeah. So if you zoom in on the top, you'll see. Yeah, and the other thing about this guy Isos Isos is that he uh, invented boats too in the Sankanithon mythos. And what's significant about this is Cernunos is depicted this is one of the only things where it's, he's depicted on this and he's got the same crab horns as mm. pontos so he's of the sea right so in this the only, the real sernunos is of the sea and as it makes its way inland they put the stag horns on him wow yeah so look up pillar of the boatman forever i, I did a post on it. it's really good really so valuable i just had a strange linguistical connection uh, two-tiered systems of law. Are they? Are we whispering unknowingly that it is an offering to the war god? Hmm. Two-tier, you know, sold dyers. Yeah. Soldiers are sold to die. Are they? Nice. Are two and tier are both names of that guy? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So there's like some. Yeah, I I just think that it's just fascinating how often what we think of as common tongue actually uh, steers us into a votive offering to a God that we were not, well, we don't think of. 
we know about it, but but people just don't have the context to think of it. So yeah, that's kind of fascinating that a two-tiered system of law is like a votive offering two-tier. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah, I, it's there. It's there. And the next one is the one that probably impresses me the most called the rock runestone or rock. Kind of reminds me of Roker. Um, R-O-K. The, the O has the two little dots. And you make that by hitting option, I think U. And then o. Um, this one is allegedly created in the 800s. It's actually the younger fruit dark. So I, I'm sorry that I included this. I thought this was going to be an older one than it was. But again, it's not noticed till the 19th century. And my concern is it does look pretty, it looks pristine. You look at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Looks really cool. It's, it's actually impressive. It, like it's not nice something work. that's like, yeah, it's like artistic. It's beautiful. So that to me, even if it's fake, I really do like the way that I think that's a cool, it's real. It's awesome. If it's fake, it's still impressive. <laughs> yeah. The next is the Hagenvik runestone, H-O-G-G-A-N-V-I-K. And um, this one is allegedly dated to the 5th century. Uh, it is Elder Futhark, but it wasn't discovered till September 2009. Oh, my. So nobody noticed it. Where was this thing hiding? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Would it, if you guys want to go through what it says, by all means. That's crazy. 2009. Nice one, James I, E. The reason, yeah, the reason I'm driving this home is because of the weight that has been put upon the Elder Food Dark on these artifacts that are all, for, for the most part, very modern, except for those few that are allegedly found in the 17th century. So that let me just is, read the interpretation. Yeah, do it. It says, Skelba Pewa's shaking servant stone. Uh, A-A-A-S-R-P-K-F, a meaningless sequence of letters used as an incantation is the claim. <laughs> Two, I, the rune carver, am called I, now do gusties. <laughs> I, nicknamed the Wolverine. So a lot of this is inserted like assumptions. But uh, apparently there's a lot of meaningless, so-called meaningless sequences in that they're saying, oh, that just means alphabet magic. But that also could be like, you know, forger not knowing what they're doing. Who knows? You know, this is like the forgers of the, if there were forgers of the 1800s or early 19th or in early 1900s, uh, they, you know, they at least did a pretty good job. And then like the guy in 2009, he just, it's a lazy, shitty job. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Who knows? Uh, but it does say there is a claim of a, an archaeological discovery underneath it. A burial was found under the site, but not excavated. So mm-hmm. makes you wonder. Like that's a claim, but like if there's nothing excavated, then that claim kind of doesn't get to be verified or not verified. I'd have to look into it more, but yeah, and I'm not buying that for a second because, well, I guess because it's modern, I can see them being very like tight-lipped about it because it's forgery. Sure, but if this were like in the 1800s, I mean, you look at the Britons, love them or hate them, these motherfuckers would go to like Stonehenge. They'd go to all the tumuli and like camp out there for like months on end. 
picking <laughs> up the bodies and shit just to see what the hell's under these sepulchral, you know, they, they figured it out. Like it's, it's, it's there, but I posted in the chat, the world's oldest rune stone or in our chat, you know, not, not the audience. So if you want to bring that up and this one, I, I laugh my ass off because <laughs> I'm just oh, like, no. <laughs> this thing is allegedly from some time between the first century and the third century AD. Can you see it? And the thing that really uh, made me laugh is uh, the date it was discovered, autumn of 2021. <laughs> oh, Here's your other ever. food thought, yeah. motherfuckers. Right? Let's make sure we put all our credibility and all our history based on these artifacts that aren't freaking discovered till a couple hundred years ago and till, you know, two years ago. And look right. at it. You know, this is the height of Rome, and this is all you're doing. I'm embarrassed. Right. You know, there is a kind of something really strange going on with um. I always get Greenland and Iceland confused. Forgive me. Iceland. Iceland's the small one with the volcanoes and stuff. Greenland's the big one with the ice. I think it's Greenland, but there's a new. There's a a new officially recognized religion coming up hmm. and they're and I'm going to fuck up the name too. It's like as a true is like the short way of saying the name of this new religion. And it's essentially what I see it as is kind of a, um, a new fangled amalgamated hybrid pagan movement. You a lot of people probably come at it with a very critical attitude Mm-hmm. Uh, to to say that it's like pagan new ageism, uh, and they are putting out a lot of energy, getting a lot of attention, and probably a lot of funding to try to attach themselves to ancient roots of some sort or another. So I'm not making any claims, but I'm saying that there is there are big dollars. Oh, and by the way, it's a it's it's uh, becoming recognized as the national religion. So it's like not just it's not just some little side group of people. They're actually yeah. getting yeah, they're getting their name put on the books. And so a lot of what we might be digging up right now uh is probably going to be used as ammunition for them to try to legitimize themselves and get a get a place at the table, if you know what I'm saying. That sounds Listen, like- Witchers, drink your potions. <laughs> we might be get, we might be going into battle, boys. So, you know, get it going. <laughs> And you know, get your, uh, your potions from uh, Tippecanoe Herbs. <laughs> Use the Eddivers <laughs> code. Here's the one bladder bladder. will help you uh, go through a three hour stream and not need to get up and go pee. Nice. <laughs> 10% off Eddivers. Keep on code Tippecanoe Herbs. Awesome potions. Literally you know, the same as what the Witcher potions would are. You know, it's tinctures. Decoction, oh yeah. Awesome stuff. Best Neither name magic. Wild crafted. Best name magic in the business. No doubt. So uh, a while back, again, I'm sorry for not having the receipts on some of this. Uh, um, I found a uh, German think tank from uh, before the Second World War that uh, their logo was in runic. 
and I flashed it by our Norse buddy, who's a who recognizes the difference in these systems. And he was like, you know what? That's not elder. That's not younger. That looks like the forbidden text. He's like, give me a minute. And he goes off and does a little research and he comes back. He like screen caps what I brought up. He comes back and he's like, yo, man, be careful where you flash that. That's some of the that's some of the forbidden runic language. And I forget what he called it, but it just kind of brought it to the forefront that like there are forms of runic language that are foreboden. Uh, not for the uninitiated, uninitiated, and it conformed to what I had found with this think tank. It turns out the rumor is that there was more money channeled into that think tank back when eugenics was a good thing. When people mm-hmm. were like, "Eugenics, it's good," you know, and they didn't, they weren't. Nobody's talking about dysgenics. There's that dis again, right? The dysgenics. Uh, well, they put more funding into that think tank then they put into the Manhattan project. And a lot of people are like, what, where does that money, where did that money go? And so it's just a real fascinating thing to see how politicized certain runic systems were way back then. And now we're at a position where if I go flashing these runes around, which I actually did, I think that's on my YouTube channel, uh, that people will make a judgment call on you, or you might turn up some, you know, skeletons in some people's closets. Uh, and in fact, I'll just say this, the, uh, the logo of the Mandalorian is, uh, was a match for this think tank logo. <laughs> and when, and when you put the Mandalorian's logo on this think tank's logo, which is a sword inside of a ribbon, uh, with all these crazy runes around it, it's kind of a fit. And, uh, and I don't know what I might've turned over cause I don't speak that language. Uh, but it's fascinating when I show it to somebody who does know, they're like, yo man, be careful where you, where you flash that. Wow. Yeah. It's just, just man, like the inverted peace symbol or inverted swastika. Right. Can someone post that Mandalorian thing so I can look, cause I can't, I posted Mandalorian logo and all I get is star Wars, whatever. I don't get the real. Oh, oh, you know what they call it? You know what they call it? It's the mythosaur. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, before we get too far past it, shout out to Etherists Unite. Yeah, he wrote Asatru, right? Asatru or whatever. But if you look at that root, Asa, but also Isha or Aisha, which is Christ. That's the Arabic Mm -hmm. form of uh, word for Christ. Yes. True true Christ, the true Christos. I don't know. Right. Right. And it is so fascinating how certain groups of people start making a claim on history and other groups of people lose their shit. Uh, yeah. And I, and that one, apparently I, I kicked over a nest of badgers <laughs> on accident. <laughs> there it is. That's it. Yeah. You got it. Uh, so yeah, the new, and this is another thing, by the way, this is uh, the, this is what Disney is pushing now in the new generation. This is, you know, post George Ophi Lucas, uh dynasty this is this is the new age <laughs> this is the new age disney bullshit is they're really pushing this mythosaur which to those of us who who know that's like a slap in the face that they're calling it a mythosaur <laughs> it's so blatant oh my gosh yeah and that's I've got a little later my eyes. i'm glad that, that you went there because so uh, you know, people, you always drop these games. 
the, uh, the history of forgery <laughs> with uh, artifacts relating to so-called dinosaurs. <laughs> That's exactly it. You know, like if we can, if people can accept that a lot of the stuff about oh dinosaurs God. is myth, is forgery, it's not, it's more, it's easier to forge shit like uh, rune stones, you know? Right. 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 That's exactly, you know, I am, I have been watching the new uh, Mandalorian, all this new malarkey that's coming out with it. And they are just, they're, I don't know. It's blatant. It's super blatant. And if you, if you got the eyes to see, you're like, you fuckers, you fuckers. And there's people out there who are like, Non consensual. <laughs> this is non consensual. You know how like black people at movie theaters they always yell like like they're really like, What are you doing, motherfucker? Turn around. So like, when next time you're there, you need to be like, non consensual town, motherfucker. <laughs> That's exactly it, man. That's exactly it. All right, guys, uh give you your plugs, y'all. <laughs> we're gonna wrap this up otherwise we'll just keep going it's fun times but uh we'll do it again and thanks for being here gentlemen thank you for hanging out with thank me tonight thank you for inviting us thank yes, you great. I mean, you first george catch up with you guys okay you go george take it away i do all kinds of stuff whatever comes off the top of my head whatever i'm working on for weeks or months or whatever and i'm sure um you can all come along for the ride and you'll have a great time you can find me on youtube you can find me on rockfin third eye edify Thank you so much for having me, Chance. As always, guys, it's been a blast. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Thank you. Yeah, you are a gentleman. Him and Mario are like competing to be the most polite guys on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's a beautiful thing. I'm going to have him on again to follow up. We did an AI episode, AI art episode. We're going to do another one because so much has happened since we said, since we did it, we've got to do a round two now. He's such yeah, a good artist. Escalated for sure. Love yeah, it. Man. All right, hey, where do they you. find you, Gabe? Slick Dissident on the YouTubes. Uh, I also get down on the Weaving Spiders webs. Catch me on the One on One podcast. I've had some fun over there. I tell you what. Uh, and then you catch me on uh, Rising from the Ashes as well. Awesome. And my name is Dylan Sicosio. I'm the author of Spirit World. And you can find everything. I posted the link in the chat. But it's beacons, B-E-A-C-O-N-S dot A-I slash great tide, G-R-E-A-T-T-I-D-E. From there, you can get my socials. And uh, for everyone who sees this, um, if you want, you can hit me up on my Instagram at Holy Sailors. Just send me a message. And all you have to do is put chance, send the message, and then your email. And I'll give you a free uh, month at my Substack, assuming you haven't already taken advantage of it. And uh, yeah, just try to respect those rules because I'm copying it from your, the messages and posting it in. So I'm not really, you know, so just chance, send that message and your email in one single message, send it and I'll, I'll give you a free month. That's thank a, you for supporting the Holy Sailors on Instagram. Appreciate it. Very good. All right, guys. And I'll see everybody tomorrow at the Alpha Cast at noon central. Cool. Thanks uh, everyone in the chat. It's been a good one tonight and much love. Catch you all in the next one. Much love to the chat. Good night guys.